This is episode 82 of G.I. Joeberg. 82. It's a pretty significant number for a G.I. Joe, a real American hero fan. And we most certainly are that. By we, I refer to myself, Stephen. And me, Paul. And Robert. And Special Missions Cujo from NoCal. Oh, I'm sorry, from Southern California, but Northern Continent. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep, he's uh, baked. (laughs) <laughs> Stick a fork in him. And tonight, well, tonight we're just going to have fun with toys. Because tonight, we've each cooked up a special mission for a small team of Joes, or maybe Cobras, <laughs> to complete. Of course, no one knows whose mission they're going to be completing, and no one knows who's going to be completing their mission. What am I saying? Is this confusing you? Well, <laughs> stick around. But first, as always, we've got some uh, G.I. Joe goodness to talk about. I'm sure we finally have the full team back in full effect. So, um, going around the mic, gentlemen, how are you on this fine day? Who's baked now? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just horse. (laughs) Horse, because my day job has me fucking shouting all the time. Oh, man, you guys can do all the talking today. How about that? Done. Sounds good. So, new shit, new figures, new toys, new experiences. The mic is yours, gentlemen. I want to talk about new toys, but the South African Postal Service doesn't want me to because they still have my new recruits. So, until they arrive, I won't have any new toys to talk about. But, I have now decided that it is my job on this G.I. Joburg team to get the Cobra Pterodrome. So now I am in the market for not only a, an MCC, but also a Cobra Pterodrome. It is uh, my cross to bear. But uh, I'm not complaining because, you know me, I'm a big Cobra fanboy. So Law of attraction, maybe something will transpire that sees a Pterodrome into your possession, brother. But uh, good on you for putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I've already been looking on online and stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of like... Um, and and this is something, maybe it's a little bit of uh, wisdom or counter-wisdom. I am not going to go and buy um, a complete uh, Terradrome just because I don't have 13,000 Rand lying around for a toy right now. 13 grand, dude. Someone's taking you for a ride. No, no, no. That's, that's uh, I mean, I'm talking about the most extreme um, specimen that I've seen. I've seen them going for about 8 grand as well. Um, and others going for seven. I have seen some sitting around five, but they are missing things, you know, like they're missing the um, the fire bat and, you know, maybe a few odds and ends here and there, which is not always a problem. Uh, although I'm aiming for the uh, sort of 2,000 Rand-ish uh, kind of Terradrome fixer-upper project. Uh, so basically a Terradrome that hasn't got broken parts, but is missing parts because I can get a lot of those parts loose Thank you, eBay. So that's kind of my my mission, is to kind of make it a sort of a fixer-upper. So I'm just sort of strategizing how I want to do that. If I should try and get the shell first and then sort of work out what parts need to be replaced, or if I should just go and get a myriad uh, or go and find or purchase myriad pterodrome parts and then uh, complete the whole thing by getting the shell. Um, So, yeah, so that's something. But uh, alas, we'll figure it out. Ladies and gentlemen, this evening we're joined by a special guest, a cricket. <laughs> you see, Paul uh, takes so the sorry. African angle a little bit too seriously. He decides to broadcast from the bush. 
It's just a small wonder he's able to get Wi-Fi reception. It's a lesser spotted South African pterodactyl. <laughs> Hopefully the pterodactyl can chow down on that cricket because my Shit. goodness, it is relentless. It's a circle of... I'm sorry. This cricket is just horny, man. You guys missed all the action. There was dogs barking and people shouting. It was a truly Joburg experience. So Bullets flying. Yeah, no, thankfully not that, but yeah. <laughs> it's not three o'clock yet. Anyway, <laughs> Rob. Yes. Talk well, to us, um, I've already put out a video about this, but um, I haven't actually discussed it on the podcast itself. Um, as well as Stephen and Paul receiving amazing custom figures from Dim Godfrey, I also received one, um, which was Snake Pliskin. And he is... He makes me... What he does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love my snake. <laughs> He's amazing. Um, it's it's really incredible the the amount of detail and accuracy to like the you know the, the appearance of Kurt Russell on screen that Jim was able to get into the figure. And, and I think as I said on the video, it kind of rivals my Saito version of. I, I heard that on your video, and I have to agree with you on that because I when I was doing your card art. I was looking for Snake Plissken reference, and I googled, and um, a lot of his weapons in uh, in the sort of film stills are kind of um, obscure. You know, I can't always, I couldn't see the full gun or whatever, and I wanted to get those details correct. So I looked up the sideshow version to to get some reference on his weapons, the belt, the uh, the tracker on his wrist, and and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I found the sideshow version, and I did find it lacking a little. It, uh, but that's also just because of the way that it was shown off on certain images in Google. I mean, I've seen guys set that figure up really well. But yeah, sorry, Rob, carry on. I just wanted to no, agree with no, you. No, no, that, that, it, it is true. I mean, I really like my Sideshow figure. But th something happened, I think, between the time that they did the original prototype and what they eventually released. Um, okay. So it's, the likeness isn't like as perfect as it could be. But like the equipment he comes with um, is, is pretty good and... Yeah, Jim, the guns that my Snake Plissken comes with is very accurate to the film, and that makes me very happy. I'm, I'm hoping eventually Jim will do me a whole a whole collection of um, Kurt Russell figures. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> As in, like, from The Thing and, and, and Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Oh, my God, I would absolutely love that. That would be I'd cool, actually. Yeah. Put them on display. Have a little like three pack, you know, display thing going on. You can design the card art. I think I think it would be awesome. Oh, I'd dig that shit, man. Otherwise, um, the only new thing that I really got recently was a new microphone, which I'm using now, which I think uh, I've wanted for quite a while, because I've always worried about my sound on 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 the podcast. And we've always kind of stressed, you know, like we want to we want to be the best that we can possibly be. You know, like a G.I. Joe. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think well, we, we've almost always not stressed so our very grassroots Bush radio style approach. But it fills me with great joy to know that our audio is gradually improving. It's only taken five <laughs> years, right? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Maybe it hasn't come across so much in podcasts, you know, that this is something that we maybe aspire to. But definitely, I think as maybe we, we become more popular or maybe not popular, but more people listening to us. I, I'd, I'd like to think that we're, we're trying our best to produce a better show for people, or they sound better, so they're not like, oh, God, I have to listen to these guys for three hours and <laughs> terrible sound. <laughs> I wish somebody would just put a de-essing filter on them, you know, just <laughs> run that de-esser. 
because the sibilances are killing me. <laughs> <laughs> We're not all Cobra Commander on this show. No, thankfully okay. not. <laughs> not all at once. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, Kujo, what, what what new stuff has happened to you recently? Gentlemen, it's, it's quite extensive, really. But I, I will say that if you're doing a Kurt Russell figure from the thing, he's got to come with a bottle of Jim Bean, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and a cowboy hat. Oh. And a, yeah. oh, I would love to see that sculpted, to be honest. Um, it would be incredible. And that huge beard. Mm. Mm. True. <laughs> true. Why isn't That's Kurt right, Russell a celebrity figure? Where are you at, Hasbro? Well, I just wanted to say, you heard it on G.I. Joburg, maybe not first, but you heard it on G.I. Joburg, four men swooning over Kurt Russell's beard. <laughs> Moving right along. Dude, Kurt Russell was the last thing that Walt said before he kicked off. Allegedly. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, enough said. Enough said. Um, He's probably about to be preceded with, I wish you'd get off my lawn. <laughs> Rosebud. Yes, I was about to say. <laughs> Dude, Rosebud has been largely misperceived. There's a, there's a hidden meaning behind all that. Oh, Kuja, you should be renamed Mysterio. <laughs> you raise more questions than you answer, my friend. I can't go down that rabbit hole today. Let's just say it's a snow globe. Let's end it there. Well, at least you're always provocative. <laughs> I try, brother. I mean, the parts of the world we come from, what, what are you going to do? I did go to Long Beach Comic Expo, which... Uh, it's a colorful proceeding. I think, uh, yeah, let's talk Mike Zek. Uh, maybe that name means something to you as a Joe fan. Maybe it's kind of slipped you, but maybe I'll introduce him to you right now. He was a uh, cover artist during the uh, American Hero uh, run of Marvel Comics. Actually did most of the covers that you're probably fawning over right now. I noticed that Strident uh, from your last proceeding mentioned the unmasking cover. Strident, that's uh, Mike Zek. Uh, but uh, do you guys have a favorite Mike Zek cover, just off the cuff? My favorite one probably is the first issue of G.I. Joe Special Missions, because it has absolutely nothing to do with the interior of the comic. You know, sort of tangentially it does, because it's the characters inside the comic. But um, it's just, it's very dynamic and what? fiery. Funny, I don't like that at all. That, that oh. cover has always been so bogus to me, because the subjects look nothing like their action figures. Is that supposed to be Torpedo and Wetsuit? Because who the hell are they? Not supposed let, to look like the action figures. Let me spin you know, Torpedo yeah. looks like he's a, a member of, of AIM, you know, Advanced Idea Mechanics. He's got that, like, flat top um, hat design. <laughs> let, let me, no, let me that's not a hat. That's his, that's his goggles. His mask. But, like, why does it look like... I mean, if you painted him in yellow... No, but yellow, it's, he's, he's, he's pushed it up above his eyes. Okay, I get you. It just doesn't hey. translate like that. I mean, as a child, I always looked at them and thought, uh, that's an AIM guy. <laughs> okay, First fine. Instead, I'll choose Special Missions Issue 2 then. There we go. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> mm, let, let, me, let me spin that, that one uh, thing in a positive direction. I, th yeah. I think that uh, that's actually... Zek had a bunch of covers you could pick up, or a bunch of prints, rather. Uh, I, we picked up Special Missions... Uh, one to uh, hang up in the penthouse, if you can follow that reference. But I always liked those those drawings. Um, uh, so uh, what do you got, Stephen? What, what cover are you feeling? You know, there are a lot of cool covers, and a lot of them tell a lot of stories. But in terms of pure iconography, 
just scrolling through them right now, you are going to have a very tough time trying to beat issue number 40. It's Roadblock just unloading with his 50, as only Roadblock can do. The expression in his face is right. The bullet casings flying out of the side of the, the gun is right. There's a uh, smoke coming out of the, the, um, the jacket of the barrel. It's just spectacular. <clears throat> You've got muzzle flare right in the top left, or t sorry, top right corner of the, the, um, the image. Yeah, man, that, that image has always, for some reason, stuck with me, even though I've never possessed the comic book. I think because the the content of that comic book came up in a letters page that I read quite vividly about why characters cannot be shooting into the camera. So what we see with issue number 40 is almost the last of a dying breed. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that that can lead me into the point that Mike Zek was probably the intensity guy before McFarlane was. So, like, if you need to capture... A, a person's feelings uh, no, nobody was better than Zek at that at that yeah. time okay I can't comment on that just because I cannot think of any I cannot mentally conjure up any images of comics other than G.I. Joe from that era right now for some reason to to form a comparison <laughs> on uh, something that is great about all of Mike Zek's covers and uh, I'm excluding the latter portions of his work, uh, mostly the stuff he did for Image and um, Image IDW-ish, although by IDW is sort of an improvement, but I'm going to leave that out of this uh, conversation. But for the most part, this guy's composition, his cover composition is fantastic. I love it. And there's a lot of kinetic, you know, there's a serious kinetic feeling to all of these covers. There, there's always movement. There's always drama. If there isn't action, there's there's some form of drama drama if there isn't drama there's some form of intrigue it's they're very exciting covers these are definitely uh books that you want to grab off the shelf and um amongst some of my favorite covers are here and and i can't just choose one unfortunately because that's just my makeup but i will cool. say that issue 63 the snake eyes and scarlet on the cover that has always been my model sheet for snake eyes okay there's no artist that has captured snake eyes quite that way that i have admired as much as mike zix and um, it's great to actually know that he was the artist for that because I never knew that. I, I saw that image for the first time in a Toy Fair magazine and then only later saw it in my graphic novel um, collections or my trade paperback uh, compilations of all of the G.I. Joe comics. But that has always been like the de facto Snake Eyes image for me. But my favorite cam uh, covers are easy. G.I. Joe 61, G.I. Joe 63, the G.I. Joe Annual, Special Missions 2, Special Missions 4. Those are my favorites out of all of them. They just have such great energy, such cool lines. The composition's great. Every one of those covers has got me, you know, looking at them and, and wanting to draw. Like, when I look at those covers, I feel like drawing. I love uh, the Special Missions 4 with, uh, I, I want to say it's Lifeline, but uh, hanging upside down in the trees there. Indeed. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, then you've got Special Missions 2 with uh, Roadblock, you know, unleashing... That, that 50 cal again. You got Rikondo firing. There's explosions. There's just haze. It's it's a really cool in the minute, you know, in the shit shot. I love it. Uh, and it's and it and it's sad because if you look at the image stuff, the image stuff is quite boring and and lifeless by comparison. And I don't blame Mike Zek for that. I blame the art direction. I also know that uh, Larry Hammer and 
I, I always hate bringing this up because it makes like Larry Hamas sound like he's some kind of gift from the gods. I mean, he's he's amazing. Well, Don't hold on, that. I'm I'm gonna pile on with you in a yeah. bit. That's what I wanted to say. But I know that Larry Hamas did a lot of these cover treatments uh, before other artists uh, took those covers on uh, forward. Uh, that's just because that's what Larry Hamas did. It's not like it was always he always used to do like a serving suggestion. Not always, but for the most part. And he's also he also does the same inside with the frames. You know, he's always been credited as as a writer, but uh, he's got comic pages and he's got sketches and things that he often sells on eBay or will post up on Facebook. And a lot of it and some of them are actually these covers. Um, and I'm not saying that Mike Zek's unoriginal or whatever or anything like that. I'm just saying that there's a great synergy between those two gentlemen. And, and you can see that there is something missing in the later cover in the much later covers. Um, so. But yeah, those were my favorite covers, and yeah. Well, let me let me run down a quick hit list myself. I'm glad you brought up Special Missions Four because if you can make Lifeline in the October Guard a page turner, then you are legend. So, <laughs> I mean, it, that just shows the skills there. A couple covers which I would bring up: uh, Special Mission Six, obvious homage to an earlier Marvel Star Wars comic cover, I believe, with uh, Luke hiding underneath a di- uh, one of those lizards. No, that's um, correct. Yeah. And also, uh, I would say one of the covers he mentioned on his Twitter feed, G.I. Joe 43, the only cover without a G.I. Joe character on it. He wanted to do some commentary, um, only the dead see the victory in war. So or something. Some I'm paraphrasing. But leading up to the convention, I saw he was there. I started to notice his work and and what it had meant to me in an earlier chapter. So uh, G.I. Joe number 25 caught my Caught my eye for a few reasons. If you've uh, been in Joburg a couple times, you've heard me reference Cobra Commander as being essentially the shadow government for the United States because, you know, Cobra Commander, CC, that representing 33 in numerology. So, you know, when I saw cover number 25, you see uh, Cobra Commander at the helm of a moccasin. The moccasin's loose on design, so I know he wasn't looking at a model. And he also added some interesting texture work, one, two, three, triangle. Um, any artist isn't going to spell it out for you. But once again, we have one, two, which is three, and then another three. So going into this weekend, I, I didn't know how I was going to approach Zek, but I rolled up about midway through Saturday. It's a two-day affair. He was going to be there both days. Walked up, uh, just, just kind of reading him as a person, a lifelong artist, uh, definitely probably an introvert. Uh, but I walked up and I said, I represent a podcast. Uh, I'd love to chat with you, you know, maybe interview you. And, and he shook me off pretty quick. I, he looked at me uh, not, not very briefly and then just kind of looked down. He's like, well, I don't really do interviews. And I was kind of having flashbacks to uh, the last time I was trying to talk to some uh, G.I. Joe talent. But I said, well, can I ask you a couple questions off the cuff? Um, I'm a G.I. Joe fan. I represent uh, a G.I. Joe podcast out of South Africa, which, of course, you know, always raises eyebrows because, you know. So he said, you know, maybe tomorrow I, I can chat you guys up. So I, I went with that because Zek was the draw for me. Like after seeing the cover of 25, I was like, this guy either has worked closely with Hama. You know, he may be able to, to solve the G.I. Joe mystery, which I'm chasing, which I mean, that is the final straw G.I. Joe for me. I, I want to know the mystery. So I, I took the rest of the day and, and talked to other people. There, w- there wasn't any really other Joe people at the con. So uh, came back the next day. 
Um, I'm going to pause for a second just to take a drink, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Might be a good opportunity to say to anyone who is scratching their heads about which covers were done by Mike Zek, you can find them at www.mikezek, that's M-I-K-E-Z-E-C-K dot com forward slash G dash I dash J-O-E forward slash. We'll also Damn. put the link on our Facebook feed, Twitter. Uh, we'll put it on the Podbean page. We'll get this stuff out there because once you know that this man's art <laughs> proliferated the, the covers of G.I. Joe, you'll never not be able to pick out his work again. It's pretty signature. Oh, for and sure. I'm sure you might find one or two of your favorite covers amongst his artworks. Oh, and please, please let us know in uh, Twitter or, or, you know, God forbid, Facebook, uh, which those covers are. <laughs> but no, so I, I went back and he was definitely slow playing me. He saw me again, kind of looked over at me. And I, I was talking to uh, the person he had working the table with him. And it, it, it came around to the end of the second day. Um, so I, I went up and, and bought a piece of art and I said, you know, uh, you know, we can we can put a recorder on the table. Can I ask you a few questions? He's like, I'm not feeling that. And I kind of understood it because he's he's in a position from legacy. He doesn't know who I am. I mean, I'm a gunslinger. So, like, I could ask him some question that would corner him and, and kind of clown up his, you know, his future. But, like, that, that was obviously not my intention. So I just asked him if I could ask him some Joe questions uh, just to just to narrow the mystery down a little bit. So I, I said he'd, he'd been tabbed as kind of a, a cover artist hit man. Like, he would do covers. They would move books. And, and I, I wondered if that was kind of a point of pride for him or, or if he didn't like being kind of, you know, cornered like that. Um, he, he enjoyed that role and, and that he had kind of uh, enjoyed doing G.I. Joe and stuff like that. I, I asked him how close he got to the mythology or maybe that wasn't the right word, but he got what I was, I was saying. And he and then he mentioned Hama and he said, well, you know, I, I put Hama in the same class as Stan Lee. He said that's just how he felt. Uh, he actually said, uh, you know, during the kind of the G.I. Joe comic rise, he 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 worked with Hama in New York uh, together. So when I heard that, obviously, my mind is racing. I'm like, oh, this guy knows this guy knows what's up. And and we chatted a little bit more. And I said, you know, uh, I haven't mentioned this so far, but he was also brought back to image to do their silent issue that paid homage to the Marvel line issue 21 for for the image comic line. And he did the ink work for that. So when I when I pointed that out to him, he didn't bring that up. He actually mentioned uh, Hama doing the silent interlude and how that was kind of legend among comic artists and stuff like that. And I said, but they brought you back to do the image one. And I said, is that kind of a feather in your cap? And then he started to smile. He started to understand that I was kind of, you know, a person that understood uh, the comic line and stuff like that. So he kind of opened up then. And we kind of played around a little bit in, in conversation. And I said, well, I guess my final question is, you know, you're talking to a G.I. Joe fan. Why is Cobra Commander the most dangerous villain you've ever faced? And I looked at him. I was I, I mean, this was kind of a real moment for me. He looked at me for a second. And he kind of he had a wry smile. And he's like, I didn't know he was. And at that point, I knew he wasn't going to blink. So. Uh, it was really cool. You know, I, I was I was worried that I was going to miss another Joe talent, but turns out uh, great conversation. Great dude. He doesn't make it to the West Coast that often. So 
if this ends up in your ears, Mike, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, hopefully we cross paths again and, you know, I can get you on the record. <laughs> but uh, it was a pleasure and another Joe talent uh, added to Joe Berg. When you realize, like, all the covers you did, you're like, oh, God. Like, th- this guy really m- got comic books in your hands back in the day. Yeah, no, your stuff is cool. It's very cool. I love the uh, the inker is fantastic as well. I do agree with you, Paul, though, like, those those later ones are a miss. Like his mm-hmm. his line, the person who did the inks or something, they didn't treat his line line art right. Yeah, and also I can see that there's a. What <laughs> I can see is is that the studio, like, I mean, I don't want to be mean to Josh Blaylock and his team, but I'm sorry, they they didn't really bring much that was great to GI Joe, to be fair. But I really feel like a very heavy-handedness here, either from Hasbro. Or from Blaylock, you know, I think he was the editor at the time for for that line uh, when before he started Devil's Due. I just feel like it's so it's so safe. Uh, all of those are just so safe. Uh, well, as if, I, as that. if I had to split hairs, I don't enjoy the way he draws Cobra Commander in the ID or I'm sorry, the Image series. He's too ripped. They're, they're, they're too similar. They're just a bunch of ripped guys. Mm, but, the, the composition's cool there, but I know I agree with what you're saying. I don't like the foreshortening on the finger, making it look very paper thin. Like I don't want to sit here and like critique oh, the no, guy's I, work now. But like, what actually really offends me—the most offensive thing to come out of all of these covers—is that Reckoning's TPB cover because I think it's just fucking god awful, and the GI Joe Battle Files that Iron Grenadier is laughable. Oh, oh, dude, Copperhead. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah <laughs> I know what it's like to be an artist and have the money make the decisions the artistic decisions and completely override your art direction it takes a lot of your energy out and then you start making things very stiff because you become very twice shy it's it's uh, the misuse of a very good asset I know exactly well, what it's like it's worth saying that that's conjecture what we're saying is we're assuming things um, yeah we're assuming here of course. yeah but no I mean like Everybody who who's in Joburg now knows exactly who Zach is. So yeah, it was a pleasure yeah. talking to him. It was a pleasure, by the way, guys. <laughs> yeah. <was> damn. <laughs> guys, should we crack open some post box the pit material? It always warms the cockles of my heart. Yeah, that is a real thing. Uh, to hear back from our friends out there, and GI Joburg has become quite a an interesting nexus of sorts because I think perhaps um, because of our our unique placement as a South African podcast. Not only do we get the hardcore, diehard North American fans of GI Joe, but we get fans from around the world, whether it be Europe, the Philippines, Australia, Australia, of course, the land down under. I'm looking at you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, buddy, uh, I can't say it enough. You are welcome to post. In fact, Everyone listening to this podcast is welcome to post on our group, be it the public group, the private group. If you want to join join us there, please feel free to post there. It's not spamming. It is very, very much appreciated content, and we enjoy the conversations that it sparks. Our group is your group. Help yourself. <laughs> Rearrange the furniture if you want. Just don't, don't dump them in the pool. Just don't pee on my dog. <laughs> or the curtains or the curtains they're, they're my mom's curtains she gets <laughs> it 
Good old Scott Centrefonti, my my pen pal from way, way back, has uh, contacted me recently with a great little um, add-on to the conversation we had with Strident that Paul and I had back in uh, our previous episode, where I spoke about a way of saving G.I. Joe, at least for me, by creating new characters and just investing the same level of attention to detail, be it card art, be it file card, be it accessories, just to give it that majesty that old new characters, okay, contradiction in terms, but back in the heyday of G.I. Joe, every time you got a new character with a new specialty, there was so much more intrigue created by the presentation. Anyways, to that end, Scott had this to say, and I want to get uh, your opinions, gents. I'd love to take your all-new G.I. Joe team idea and apply it to a World War II-era story. I think a time before drones and cell phone detonated bombs makes for a much more compelling story. The more natural, the better for me. The Joes would be a behind-enemy-lines team, blowing up Nazi supply trains and rescuing POWs. No Sergeant Savage robotic superhero laser crap. <laughs> I don't know, guys. What do you think of resetting G.I. Joe as a World War II property? It wouldn't be the first time it's been done. There's a... I think it... Is it Udon Comics? I need to double-check. because uh, They did like a, a G.I. Joe Transformers um, crossover that was set in World War II. Um, not only was the, was the art fantastic, but I really liked... Or I really enjoyed the sort of approach to the characters. And it got, you know, the little wheels in my head turning. I fully support that kind of idea uh, because I feel if you look at something at a, at a franchise like James Bond, for example, James Bond really shines, you know, up until the 80s when James Bond was very much about gadgets. And it, and it, and it was like you really had to work hard for your wins. Uh, I mean, perhaps James Bond is not the best example here, but it's just that you had to work hard for your wins. It wasn't so much like like how James Bond is portrayed today. Now, I don't want to have a conversation about James Bond now, but what I'm getting at is that I kind of feel that storytelling, it's, it's, a good, um, uh, it's, it's a good metaphor for like a lot of action stories. You know, before it was always cool to have these little gimmicks and gadgets and whatever. They, they were game changers. They weren't the way. You, you sat when you saw James Bond in some form of peril, you knew that he had the gadget, but you were always wondering how he was going to use it. And he really had to work. I love that kind of storytelling. And I think it's why I enjoy things like Indiana Jones and all that as well. I mean, most people enjoy Indiana Jones. But it does harken back to a simpler time when when the drama was really there. You know, stopping a big enemy was, was there and, and you had limited resources. And I, I fully agree with you on that one, uh, Scott. I think... Uh, I think that would make for a compelling story and, and for a, a, an awesome line of toys. And and I don't think Scott's alone there. I mean, I've often seen on his tank where guys have done World War II versions of like G.I. Joe fire teams. I mean, they've had Scarlet and Lady J and even Snake Eyes and a whole bunch done up. And it's, yeah, it's definitely got the wheel turning in my head. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah, I think World War Two. World War Two is definitely an awesome time to set things. I mean, it, uh, maybe today it feels a more simpler time, or at least a, an easier time to kind of say those are the good guys, these are the bad guys. So it kind of it's kind of like where G.I. Joe comes from, where like there's clearly Cobra is the bad people, 
G.I. Joe are the good guys. Um, so there are parallels, I think, in, in, in at least in that way. I was about to say, yeah, Cobra definitely is modeled after a kind of a Nazi-esque style of uber baddie who have gigantic banners and cauldrons of fire and legions of jackbooted guys all dressed in the same color. You know, that sort of terrorist never really existed. I mean... It's it's almost uh, yeah it's a non sequitur but it's it's almost comic have a uniform yeah anyone I think lots of people have have kind of drawn parallels between G.I. Joe and World War Two as as Paul was saying with the the Udon comic series probably Udon um, as well as you know other I get people the feeling it was, uh, was it probably not? like dynamite or something. Dreamwave. Dreamwave, yeah. Which ah, I think it go. became Udon anyway. But yeah, that yeah. was so cool. Anyway, carry on. I might <laughs> have one or two of those issues. I don't think I finished it, but I, I'm pretty sure. I certainly have those issues. And they, they became extremely complicated to follow because of the painted art style being so unclear. Hmm. I was going to ask you guys because it's very my stylized. One... I couldn't understand the action of it. The dialogue was clear from time to time, but wow, I just did not know what was going on, man. It's very over stylized. My version was presented in a manga format, so it was actually um, the same art. It was just the inks and and tone. It wasn't. There was no uh, color to it, and uh, I actually felt that that was how it was presented. I didn't actually re- actually realize that it was presented in color. Which makes me want to go and check that out. <laughs> so. Well, you can have mine, buddy. Ooh. <laughs> Next letter. And this one's primarily directed at Cujo, actually. Oh. Uh, Dan Szymanski always writes um, very enthusiastic sort of collections of responses. And he just drops them on me in one big go. So I'm going to be paraphrasing the hell out of this particular email. But he had this to say, particularly about our our Battle Force 2000 podcast, episode 80. He was wondering (laughs) if we were to devise a vehicle for DJ, what kind of, what would that vehicle look like? (laughs) Uh, And sort of almost um, an additional note to that, that swipe on DJ. He says that he's still having a hard time with both Cujo and Paul thinking DJ's laser gun is cool. Please get Rob to weigh in here. Fingers crossed he also despises this weapon. The only thing worse than DJ's gun is perhaps his backpack. Only one member of Battle Force 2000 gets a backpack, and that is what they came up with. The speaker idea is okay, and that ties in with his corny backstory. However, I feel the color and shape missed the mark. How would Joburg fix DJ's backpack? Or do you think it's adequate the way it is? I think Dan just hijacked the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you guys, you guys thought the DJ was kind of cool, uh, well, so have at it, gentlemen. What vehicle would he be driving? Within the context of Battle Force 2000, yeah, he's pretty cool. I mean, Dodger is really cool, and everybody no, else really not cool, and DJ is kind of cool. I suppose that's the best way to put it across. DJ's got. Gun- I'm sorry, Dan. I like that gun, dude. Um, well, first of all, it's good to have Michigan in the house. Uh, that's where he's from, right? That's a shot. Correct. 
And and that answers that answers another question of his. He thought that was a, a cryptic shout out to him, but he couldn't be sure. Well, you've just spelled it out. Good job, Kudu. Yeah, I, I don't forget, gentlemen. Um, it's a pleasure to have you uh, in Joburg. Um, I you know what? I played a game called Gears of War uh, quite a bit, and they had a gun called a Nasher. And, and design aesthetic wise, it kind of looks like a DJ's gun. So you know, take the color away from it. It's okay looking. Um, as far as DJ, I, I can live with him in my Joeverse because just like you need beggars uh, who are eyes and ears everywhere, you need people in nightclubs listening in. I mean, he could be a kick-ass DJ and still be an underground operative. <laughs> and he wouldn't even have to change his outfit. Yeah, sure. He's, he's like, got those disco boots or Ugg boots or whatever. He's like uh, Daft Punk. <laughs> mm. Good work. He's kind Good of... Work. I mean, it's the 80s, right? So, I mean, he's he's closer to, like, um, Kraftwerk or... Um, I'm just going to stick with Kraftwerk at the moment. You know, okay. he's, he's probably playing those kind of synthy cool vibes. He's probably a really great musician. I don't know why he wanted to kill people, man. Guys, I, I, I have to read this out on the show. Um, this is what Joe Day had to say about DJ. And once again, I'm going to paraphrase because, yeah, you guys can check it out yourselves. Joe Day. DJ, my goodness, it's great. Let's break down the figure itself. Kids bike helmet on the head, check. Skin tight shirt, check. Cod piece, check. Blue jeans tucked into thigh high ribbed leg warmers, check. Finally, the boots. Oh my goodness, the boots. Oh, the humanity, those boots. It's like Satan went to Florsheim. And special ordered white disco boots for his cloven hooves. <laughs> They're honestly the weirdest footwear I've seen in an action figure. <laughs> I'll leave it there. But yeah, the word doofy comes up quite liberally in that review. And I can't say uh, he's far off the mark. <laughs> no, he's really not. I mean, yeah. Um, any ideas for, for a vehicle quickly for DJ? What's that uh, land speed record holding car? The blue Mirage, blue lightning. Mm. Well, basically, if you take his phallic backpack and turn it on its side, <laughs> make a make a big car out of that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'll know. be able to get from 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 gig to gig <laughs> in record time. Let's go. I'm gonna go the complete cheeseball route. When when things weren't that safe with regards to toy regulations, I think they should have totally just redconned the the turtles pizza launcher and just turned it into some kind of like vinyl shooting like tank. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's not I mean, bad. That's, I I think that's about that'll be like the best thing about it. Like oh wow. You need the best like way that. To get your sister out of your room. You need that Biff Tannen scene where he whips a record and Biff ducks and it sticks into his chair. Rob? Yeah, that is the terrible rifle. I I don't see why you guys like it. (laughs) 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 G.I. Joeberg is split down the middle. (laughs) Gears of War-ish, it could work. I'm I'm trying to conjure up the image of this gun uh, in that setting. It could work, but it's just... It's not a Giorgio gun, but then again, the Battle Force 2000 are not a Giorgio team, really. Mm, except for Dodger. Although, he just, he decided not to go to LV-428. 
<laughs> Something else that Dan wanted uh, some answers to, and the reason I'm answering this publicly is so that our man Kujo can uh, can actually give a shout out to his other podcast project. Uh, Dan asked about about uh, the lost tapes. Do you want to do a little sales pitch on that one, brother? He he asked specifically about it. He wants to know what the lost tapes project you were working on was a oh oh actually we just released that a couple days ago so mm. no we i'm involved with uh, 30 minutes of diabolical too and uh lost tapes you'll just have to listen it's it's actually quite uh bizarre and humbling but also great sound design i like the it. final uh, note from old dan he's quite curious as to your battle force 2025 or even battle force 2050 have you given that any other thought Kujo? has anybody watched that show cleopatra 2025 you're not you're not real sci-fi if you don't know that one oh then i guess i'm not real (laughs) sci-fi oh you're you're not in the club by the way we got some rattlers overhead um go america Uh, you better go dark man or your light's out well cobra's on our team didn't you get the memo um cobra's on your team maybe yep um, no, no. I mean, 2025, it, it's just, it's a, it's another point of intrigue. I mean, we got problems in the world today. You can, you can look past those problems a couple of years and, and see some specialties that would be definitely, uh, intriguing in character. That's all. I'm just go to Frank Miller roots. Mutants. Final little love letter that I want to bring to light this evening comes from the blind master. It's Chris Huff. <laughs> and this is something that perhaps we can expand into a, a fuller topic but I wanted to get some quick-fire responses from you gentlemen, candid as it were. Have you done a favorite sculpted weapon episode? My top three, for example, Destro Quest Rockets. Oh, no, sculpted weapon, like on the figure sculpt. Ooh. All right, all right. CJ's so number one. <laughs> Sorry. 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 <laughs> His number one is Destro's wrist rockets. Number two is the wrist dart on Snake Eyes version two. And his number one accessory sculpted into a figure sculpt is Scarlet's mini automatic hidden on the inside of her right wrist. He says he always imagined this to be a Jennings or a similar 2.2 or 2.5 automatic pistol, which is a very small concealable weapon on a wrist extender holster, such as you would see in a scene from the Wild Wild West. As a kid, I often had to play a part in a knockdown, drag-out fight involving Scarlet, i.e. she always had something up her sleeve. So, gents, sculpted weapons. Wow. Wizard sleeve. (laughs) Wizard sleeve. Storm Shadow version 2 has a wizard sleeve. Wizard sleeve. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Geez, like, off the bat, like, he wants us to answer, like, now. Well, we, I, this is why I, I suppose I, I could expand this into its own topic. I would really um, like that, personally. Uh, you should do off the cuff, Paul. What do you got? Uh, dude, the problem is, is if I go off the cuff and just like, yes, Snake Eyes wrist launcher is awesome. Um, but I would really like to have a look because there is one figure that has a sculpted on detail and it's not like somebody that was just mentioned now that that it's it's quite a fantastic little thing. But I can't think of who it is right now because my brain's gone blank. I'm gonna go with Ripper's rings because they look like knuckle dusters. 
right. They're like big gold bars, man. I think it's Ripper. Yeah, please let it be Ripper. <laughs> Anyways, that's that's a pretty badass sculpted weapon. Very impromptu, as a Dreadnought would be. But certainly will leave its mark if he uh, gives you a, a front punch or a cross. Hawk's uh, little letter opener on his wrist is quite a cool little detail. The the letter opener itself is it, kind of dulled, so you get the uh, feeling that it's sheathed. But I love that if you look at his right arm, it actually looks like it's been tightened there. The jacket actually folds in. It creases there. It's quite a cute little detail. Hey, those sculptors knew what they were doing. You are uh-huh. talking about talking battle commanders, Hawk. Let's just make that abundantly clear. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be Paul's favorite Hawk for damn sure. Damn sure. But uh, the knife is facing the wrong way. Mm. Like, if you're going to pull it out with your with your left hand, the, the hilt should be... F- towards your wrist yeah well, let me let me spit out some before my mind works anymore um i definitely i mean destro i mean ever since boba fett who who his figure had his hand out flat you're always drawing attention to wrist weapons so i definitely get the affinity for the dart gun and the missile launcher do you remember in the the introduction for destro in the marvel comic He's on point with his first rocket launch, and then the next one's a dud. Remember that? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I, I'm going to go with anybody that has sculpted Chinese stars because those are just – you can just throw those, and they hit people. And when you're playing toys, you've you got an abundance of them. So I like that. <laughs> nice. I, I'm, I'm not talking about Quick Kick, by the way. I'm definitely talking about Storm Channel. <laughs> Or, ironically, Scarlet version 1. Scarlet version 1 has an abundance of very unique weapons. You know, it's pretty typical to find a a holstered gun. But with Scarlet, you had throwing stars. You had that Derringer-style pistol on the inside of her gauntlet. You had an explosive device on her one thigh, a knife on the other. And most curious of all to me, this is sculpted catty. Like a catapult on her butt. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Explosive device on her thigh, you say? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Silver. <laughs> and also, while it's not sculpted, it could might as well be in her hairline. It says on her file card that Scarlet is an expert with garroting, like garrot wires, like <laughs> an instrument of death for death by strangulation. So, I mean... Part of her arsenal, no doubt, part of her concealed weaponry must include some piano wire, man. I think we need to do an episode where we talk about Scarlet and <laughs> and her sort of mental issues, mental health issues, because that is one very All paranoid right. woman. And I'm starting to think that her backstory is a lie, <laughs> because damn, she is built to kill. My God. Love I love her. Scarlet. Sculpted weapons, brother. Speaking of sculpted weapons, are we going to go into a quick definitive sculpt? Well, we need Robert to weigh in on the off-the-cup sculpted. Um, Yeah, I'd probably say Scarlet. She has yeah, a hairpin, too, to pick locks. Don't forget Silent Interlude. Oh, how could we forget? Gentlemen, definitive sculpt time. And tonight, ooh, it's been a long-awaited topic. The Battle Android Trooper. First thing I want to know from each of you, was the Battle Android Trooper 
a good or bad addition to the G.I. Joe mythology. Don't be afraid of stepping on some toes. We're all friends here. I think it's a good addition to the to the to the mythos. Why not? It gives them some expendable dudes to get killed. Um, someone you can send in who who can do the things that no one else can do, and also keeps the Joes busy while you actually go ahead and do your proper mission. But I suppose in a way it also you know becomes like the sort of cannon foddery thing, especially in other mediums like um, cartoons and stuff like that, where it's just something you throw. At, at, at the good guys and gives them something to kill that then that isn't actually going to die but i think in general it's, it's a good addition because it looks so good you know the interchangeable weapons yeah i, I think it's a good addition definitely why not robots are cool robots are cool <laughs> and that's 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 paul agreeing with me <laughs> <laughs> the only reason i ask is because it once came up in a, a topic thread on histank.com where people were discussing their pet hates in G.I. Joe um, uh, and, and unpopular opinions, basically. And the one person was like, you know, for all their appeal, I really couldn't stand the battle android troopers because they, for those, that exact reason, they were expendable they were meaningless pop-up targets that held no consequence and no stakes. And from the moment that they appeared, you know, all of a sudden there was this technological divide, a big one. You know, Cobra had these robots doing their fighting for them. Why didn't G.I. Joe? <laughs> Budget, y'all. <laughs> Indeed. No, I don't like those words. Um, I think they're a great addition. <laughs> Uh, just because, yeah, it's time for robots, so it was time. So, Cujo, definitive sculpt, buddy. You want me? You want me to kick it off? Somebody's got to do it. Well, as you so often call me out, I'm I'm gonna take it straight to the source. I'm gonna go uh, the, the first the first bat. I, I'd love to know everybody's uh, default weapon hand. I know we had a poll going. Who picked the claw? Because I'm a claw dude. Uh, with with the with the uh, disclaimer that the shoulder joint needs to be strong enough or tight enough to suspend a character when the claws around their neck. So that's an important move for a bat. And anybody who's saying that the bat is kind of just a, a seat holder or, or placeholder, I, I gotta you know what? Go back and watch the first Alien movie and watch as that one robot turns on the crew. That, to me, is what a bat is, except for with sharp gadgets on him. Because, like, yeah, he's not coordinated, but if he grabs onto your chest or something, like, you need two or three people to pull his hand off it, just because it's, you know, it's a robot. So go back and watch that, be terrified, and then wait for them to do bats right on screen, basically. Are you saying, are you saying that the bats are like a walking Cuisinart? <laughs> well, I'm saying, like, in close, in close quarters... Nobody can t can handle a bat. You mm. you got to get them out in the open. That that's how I would deal with bat and Joe's. Like if you see one in a hallway, run. If you see one on a battlefield, may maybe not so much. So I'm going with V1 just because back in the day holograms were were pretty fucking tight, <laughs> and they did a great hologram job on on V1. So um, maybe people remember those holograms you used to get when you went to Denny's. I don't know. Yeah, um, it's a lenticular sticker. Oh yeah. Awesome. 
And I also like, if you're getting specific, I'm going to go with the yellow bat paint, not the gold, and simply because of the occultic symbolism of black and yellow. If you're not hip to that, just, just turn on some Wiz Khalifa. Aside from that, and I, I kind of like the context that, uh, who's that G.I. Joe cartoon writer that we always uh, rough up? Ron Friedman. Yeah. Braggadocio. <laughs> Friedman put the bats on a bus, and that, that also adds a layer of commentary. So going with V1, yellow paint job. I got to give some love to the Inferno bat just because he comes with a sword. He comes with a sword, guys. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Okay, firstly, I didn't get to really weigh in, are oh, bats worth it? Yeah, bats are totally worth it. They are very cool. I mean... The 80s were all about robots, and robots are awesome. Okay, let's just like just let's put that right out there. And it's severely, well, for me, it is hugely satisfying to have a character on screen in a cartoon actually kill something else. Okay, not to sound like some kind of like violence nut, but it was great when the turtles actually smashed up like mouses and things. It's cool when you see the Joes destroy bats, and likewise, <laughs> i.e., Sergeant Slaughter. With his baton. Yes. Bats represented a great release, you know, like violence release that I think is is important in all kinds of animated series, especially because you can't, because there's so many restrictions in what you can and cannot do. So in that regard, I fully support the bat being around. Secondly, uh, I love the fact that a bat shows the divide between Cobra and G.I. Joe technology. Cobra are unrestricted they they can you know they can test on animals i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying they can test on animals they can test on humans they can do whatever the hell they want to do and they get their results and something like a bat or a cobra bug or a cobra condor are the wild frankenstein-esque creations that come out of that cauldron that pit of cobra invention and i love that it needs to be there because gi joe comes from taxpayer money and restrictions and safety and all that stuff so i love that the bats represent that thing and i'm gonna go straight into my favorite bat i love the version one i think the version one is a beautiful toy it's got a hokey retro robot style that really comes across well uh it's it's very b movie in its design but as a figure as a definitive sculpt i love what is what Yojo calls version 17, but basically the first time it was released as a modern era figure, I love that toy because I got it. It was one of my first modern era Joes um, that I acquired, and it sort of set the bar for what the 25th anniversary Joes would be. It's all uh, mostly, uh, if I'm not mistaken, everything on the bat is actually, it belongs to the bat. There's no reused parts. It uh, brought life to detail that was in the original, but it just... It just expanded upon it. The color scheme, the the black and yellow, this motherfucker's not mellow. I love it. <laughs> the bat is a great toy, but the modern era is definitely my definitive. And I, I have enjoyed some of the variations. I felt that they've really milked it well. I find myself tempted to get an Arctic bat. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, love it. Uh, it's a great toy. And um, my favorite attachment for, for Cujo's sake is I also enjoy the claw. And I enjoy the flamethrower. Uh, I think uh, bats should definitely be clawing and, you know, gnashing people and then setting them on fire. So you can't choose two, buddy. You got to choose one. The modern era can accommodate two, 
but the claw is my favorite. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if he has if he has a claw and a flamethrower, how's he gonna drink his morning coffee? That's what I wanna. <laughs> but I, I do have one question about your definitive Paul. You'll yeah. trade a lenticular for that kind of one dimension clumsiness that he's got That's, on his chest. Uh, uh, for the sculpted detail, Cooch, to be very fair, that is one of the defi- deciding factors. Uh, Steve and I have had this conversation before in, in an earlier episode of uh, G.I. Joburg. I really do appreciate the lenticular sticker. I think it's it's a great um, addition. It's something that, as a kid, drove me crazy in a good way, which is why I was so attracted to uh, Lightfoot as a figure when I was a kid. But the modern era has a lot of really great quirks, and it was my first bat. It's the first bat that I've ever purchased and owned for myself. I never even owned a bat version two, so this was like my first bat. Oh, so I kind of poor got, dear. Well, Dave had the the bat version two. That's why I never got my own one. I mean, it was like kind of like have the same toy as your friend. You know, you know what I'm talking about, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to expand the collection. So. This was my first bet, and Dave already had a version one and a version two, so it didn't re- really leave much room for me. And he got overkill, so I was kind of like, okay, so this is my bet, <laughs> mine. You could get the the space bet, the B A A T. Oh shit, yeah, I did have that, but I forgot about that because it was crap. Oh god. But uh, <laughs> sorry, I that is totally no one's definitive bet. <laughs> yeah, the bot. Uh, also, just to. <laughs> If, if anybody's interested, I prefer the silver faceplate over the red faceplate as well. Um, so, there. Gosh, sure? a Toon fan like you. Mm. Thought you'd find a special place in your heart for the red visor. <laughs> no, I like the silver. It looks good. I'm done. <laughs> All right, well then, I'm going to break the tie and I'm going to say version one as well. <laughs> I mean... No surprises for guessing that I'll go old school over new school. The Bat version 17, according to Yojo.com, is venerable. It certainly is one of the finest 25th anniversary action figures to see release because it is faithful. It upped the the proportions of the Bats. It made him more statuesque. And if you are a robot, you might as well have a bit more reach than a human figure. Little did I know, of course, that pretty much all of the modern era G.I. Joes and Cobras were heading towards that stature. But at least in those early days, 2008 to 2009, that bat seemed to tower over my figures and that was cool by me. But I have to align myself with North America on this one and say that the clunky chest mechanics really knocked this figure down a peg. It's too cartoony for my tastes. Uh, it, it, it throws the bat into a weird no man's land of, is this trying to be a modern reinterpretation of a classic with all the technical details looking as realistic as possible? Or is this trying to emulate the cartoon by making it colorful and oversized and pastiche? It does not serve the toy. Certainly not as well as the extremely detailed lenticular sticker which i can only imagine they couldn't adequately sculpt all those details and color them the way that that sticker does so immaculately and even adds a bit of depth see the problem with the modern era bat all those mechanical details are kind of pushed out of the chest instead of making it a cavity you've got this this sort of like blocky thing stuck to his chest whereas in the original bat it was sunken in 
So while you can imagine there is some gloss there, the mechanics are inside the chest cavity, given that three-dimensionality by the lenticular, whereas the new one, it's all externalized, which is bogus, unless it's just there to draw fire um, and yeah. be a sort of a, you know, a decoy, a dud. But then why put it on the center of your mass, make the, you know, the head sculpt what draws fire? Because as far as I can tell, bats can operate without their heads. That is true. I don't know if they can operate with their chest shot to pieces. Or maybe most of the armor's on the chest. I don't know. But anyways, V1 for me, and I'm going to go with the flamethrower hand. Because while I appreciate the finely sculpted claw, I really, really, really prefer the bats being your flame troopers. Because they can take the heat, no problem. Mm. And they just, they just tear shit up. And nothing is more destructive than flame. Once you get a flame started... It starts doing the destruction on its own. The bat can turn its attentions elsewhere. It can just spray and march and spray and march. Also, much like a garden hose, when you turn it on, if a bat's like shooting flames and falls over, flames are going everywhere. Exactly. Which makes the bats a time bomb, essentially. You know, if you shoot it full of holes, it's just going to start squirting jellied gasoline everywhere. So, yeah, your point about not taking on a bat in close quarters is dead on, Cooj. Which leaves Robert to uh, once again possibly break a tie or create a tie. <laughs> Do it, brother. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is that, like, I have, I think I own, oh, I, I really love the first version. I mean, so much so, I think I own two of them. Correct. I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Two nil, in fact. I own zero version one bats. Oh, it's just very kind that he leaves his in my possession. <laughs> yeah, you, you can borrow them. You know, you can play with them whenever you like. But what, what I think is more destructive than than flamethrower is is a is a grenade launcher attachment or a missile launcher attachment. I think this is probably the first time I'm actually going <laughs> nostalgic and choosing version 2 Cobra Bat. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> A house uh, divided cannot stand. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just, to me, I mean, yes, the original version is very iconic, but like this is the version that I remember playing with. I mean, I, I don't own it. Steven owns it. Um, but I always remember playing with it. Oh, the irony. Quite a bit. <laughs> I'll trade you a bat for a bat, brother. No, no, we're not trading. Uh, the, the first ones are so much cooler. Um, but, like, nostalgically, this one is, is, is fantastic. And it feels more futuristic to me, this kind of very blank face. It, I mean, yes, the original has a blank face, um, but this is even more blank. I, I don't really imagine there being a person in there. I had a problem with that design, Robert. I mean, it feels too basic. Like, you don't think... I mean, are you feeling kind of like uh, the black hole kind of spaceship workers? face kind of thing like what do you get from that because I, I don't get it i think it, it it feels i mean yes you kind of you, you you get visors and stuff from from other characters um that kind of make them blank faced but for whatever reason when i look at this figure it just feels even more blank faced you know like there's there's no consciousness there's nothing behind it like i think with a lot of the other versions you can still feel like there's there's something working behind there well this one it feels it really feels like there's nothing there it's it's a robot thrown through, doesn't think for itself. It's got a little bit of programming that, you know, you set it in a certain direction and just creates destruction. 
And I think this one creates even more destruction because it has a grenade launcher and a gigantic spring-loaded missile launcher. Thanks, <laughs> 1990. Um, <laughs> but it, it it's looks... one of the few I can tolerate. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it looks fantastic, I think. Um, and it's a weird combination of the orange and the green and the black. I think it's also be- like um, at one point I always enjoyed the the weird was it second version of Firefly because that's the only version I ever knew. You know, the kind of horrendously bright version of firefly but that was the only vision i knew until you know until what the internet arose gi uh-huh. um, joberg would like to urge all listeners at this point to please appreciate our position as members of the third world we uh, we really did have to sift through scraps from um, the United States' table, <laughs> and Europe for that matter. So, you know, bat version to, uh, yeah, Rob, you have my sympathies and my encouragement, actually. Uh, that, that bat was my bat. I love that bat intensely. I will add Let's to what back. you had to say by saying that his proportions kind of echo what, what G.I. Joe was heading to in the 90s, which was a more superhuman physique. But with the <laughs> Battle Android Trooper, it works. Whereas the original bat... He's kind of uh, not exactly a heavyweight. Uh, he's kind of kind of lean, kind of well. In Afrikaans, the word would be scrawl. There's nothing particularly menacingly robotic about his frame. He could very easily be a human character just with cybernetic arms. Um, but with the Bat version two, he's bulkier, he's beefier, he's more sort of rounded in 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 a sense making him you know either he'd be a superhuman uh with the sort of a skin tight black leather suit or he's got got to be a robot in these kind of construction hazard uh colorings the greens and the, the oranges are very 90s but also very like this guy's not making it his priority to camouflage at all as the file card would go on to say these guys just get kicked out of the transport helicopter door. There is no subtlety with a Battle Android Trooper, and specifically with a Battle Android Trooper version 2. These guys are just cannon fodder thrown into a bad situation to assist Cobra win the day by all means necessary. So, good job. It's done up in a color that is not recognized as a Cobra faceplate color. It is a well-established trope that Cobra faceplates are silver. So by having your Battle Android Trooper have a silver faceplate... Well-established, face you say? Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry, Cobra I, Commander. I got, I got some snow serpents knocking on the door. Um, hey, you know what? Well, Cobra Commander and the Viper. Viper. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, and, uh, and, and, and the, 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 this is the sort of the triad that Cobra stands on. Leadership, manpower and technology silver masks silver masks exactly <laughs> so you know version two bats doesn't have a silver mask motor viper oh Sorry. god i love motor viper all right just just wrapping up the bat discussion um was the bat when you first got that figure was he ever your primary because i had like one day probably a 24-hour period where i probably as a child had my first uh, unknowingly had my first uh, transhumanist kind of discussion in my head I just couldn't reconcile me being a robot. Did you guys have that conversation? I'm not going to comment. <laughs> Unfortunately, you were a robot, weren't you, Paul? 
<laughs> I'm not saying I am and that I'm not. All I'm saying is that I have a really good reason to enjoy Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so, oh, oh wow. shit. It's called yeah. Six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Six, what? Caprica Six. Caprica Six. But generally, just jokes aside. And was stuff, that her name? Yeah, it's Kucha. Uh, yes, she, it was. she is one of the Caprica Six, yeah. Oh, one of them. Yeah, she, uh, well, not her, but, like, I've always, as a child, like, related to, to robots and machines and stuff, you know? It's, um... That's why you have so many friends. That's why I have so many friends. That is right. No, jokes aside, I mean, I'm not saying I ran around with a robot voice. I'm just saying I always felt intrigued by it. I've always found cybernetics and all of that stuff to be, like, super fascinating, and I still do. I mean, Ghost in the Shell is one of my favorite films of all time, bested only by Blade Runner. <laughs> so, it's... I've well, always it's going to be a hell of a year for you. Yeah, well, I don't really want to watch a shit version of my favorite film. But... No, I'm going to boycott <laughs> that thing too, actually. Robert, are you, are you feeling like a robot? I don't think I ever tried to, like, kind of make a robot as my main character. I think... I might have had characters with, like, robotic arms and stuff, but not... Um, I don't think I... I was ever thinking that that, that kind of meta about my, my playing... Sorry, I was very basic. Man, I'm fucked up. No, no, no it's okay. You're allowed oh, to be no. a basic bitch. Go you. <laughs> Steven, art thou a robot? Oh, jeez. I'm perhaps really conservative when it comes to picking my protagonists because they typically are male and human. <laughs> Once again, maybe as far as a robotic arm, but uh, for a time, Lady J was, was the star of the show. And that was always interesting because playing a woman kind of puts you in a transgendered frame of mind. All of a sudden, like, hold on, this is my protagonist and she has sex with men. Or oh, does she? I think once, oh my God, late, late one night, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, Joburg after dark. Jesus. Uh -oh. I can't believe I'm going to put this real now. I can't believe I'm going to put this on record, but. Uh, when I had in my possession both Lady J and Scarlet, they were like Explored on a, the cave. They were on a, vi a vice squad. They were like playing prostitutes and busting solicitors, <laughs> customers. Johns, I believe they're called Johns. Johns. Well, part of their <laughs> role involved like getting down, man. <laughs> well. It's dude. I mean, you're in your early teens. You're discovering all sorts of things about GI Joe, <laughs> yeah. and yourself too. <laughs> well, I'm gonna leave the conjecture at that point. But you know, finally having female action figures in one's possession does open some interesting doors to the kind of interpers <laughs> interpersonal relationships that you start to explore uh, doing <laughs> doing a, a gender swap on yourself, as it were. Well, but as far as the robotics, bat is a different flavor of that. Yeah, but the bat is always posited as male energy. Um, I think I agree. I've only ever used the bat as a supporting character, like seductive bat. No, seductive no, bat. not even man. You can't even. Yeah, no, he he never possessed that particular attachment. <laughs> you know, the one that spins around, I, I vibrates, and and um, <laughs> moves in and out. You. you you could have a bat serving a beverage. You could. Wait, nobody nobody chose the laser bat hand? Nobody did? Is it a laser? Is it's it a, a drill? 
It's such a failing, isn't it? A drill would have been a lot cooler. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, that that attachment always got a head scratch from me. I, I do want to mention one other bat thing. Uh, there's a Merc out there that I was chatting with earlier this week. Um, he mentioned he liked the videotape head bat, that, that one that you could swap out the head because it reminded him of uh, Cobra Civil War. So, I'm not sure I'm familiar no with that one, bro. Really? Because mm. I, I thought you guys would have that on tap. <laughs> Uh, the the bat head that you can swap out for the the damaged uh, for the VCR. damaged one, yeah. Oh yeah, love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to make had... sure I didn't forget to mention that because I thought that was good insight that uh, my friend on Twitter brought up. Murph. Um, that's something about the modern era bat that is very cool. I like the battle damage. I know it's it's hokey for some people, but I I think it's really great. Um, I have one bat that's completely damaged, and he's in he's encased in one of those creeper vines, and it, he looks great. He's like he's been there ever since I got him. It's like lift him in that creeper vine state, state, and it's it's fun because it's from the movie. <laughs> oh, not from the movie, but from the from the show. So. Me and Steven like holograms. <laughs> Zing. Yeah. So does Rob. Apparently, just holograms of a 1990s flavor. They're just better at making them in the 90s. Uh, it's truly outrageous. Well, Rob... Truly, truly outrageous. Do you have any joy with the the version 4 that came out in 2003, according to Yojo? It's your favorite bat sculpt, but with the classic colors. Mm. Oh. I never even knew this. No, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> It has to be the bright colors or nothing. You know, you can't, you can't marry the colors of the original with the design of the second version. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny that, hey, because um, I've often tried to look at that bat with a more sort of mature color scheme, and it just doesn't work. I think it, it really does go bad. It does go bad all the way. I, I don't think uh, that uh, that's a formula that shouldn't be uh, messed around with. I'd like to make jokes about Bat 22, but that thing's just fucking hideous. Oh, I hate uh, New Sculpt era bats. They look ridiculous. They they're not even like they're not even like ugly cool. They just ugh. well you you <laughs> could do a buddy comedy with Bat Twenty Two and Inferno Bat, but it wouldn't last very long. I don't know. I think you could go into some really deep introspective. Uh, why do I hate myself? Why can't I be like you? Moments. Why was the mold different when they made me? Um, whatever. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> Nice. Well, it writes itself. Was it Strident on the previous podcast, I suppose you gents wouldn't remember, who was bemoaning the clashy colors of green and purple? I think it was. He was talking about stiletto and heading on those colors. Or was it you, Cujo? You're on the right continent anyway. That was me. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, bro, you're, you're talking about the Constructicon bat. Come on, man. Well, Green we're finding out work. that just because you're good at, do. at robots doesn't mean you're good at G.I. Joe. I'm just going to leave that there. I like that color scheme. Decepticons for the win. Gentlemen, we do have a topic outside of our usual rigmarole. And this we is have sort a topic? of a, a creative one, isn't it? Mm. In it, one of us operates as the briefing master, sort of a, a hawk position, and the other puts together the team, the equipment, and the method 
for achieving the objective. And in order to keep an element of randomness in play, the briefer and the team assembler will be chosen at random by virtue of spin the coke bottle. <laughs> On the floor of my abode, I have four action figures. They are representing myself, Scarlet, representing Cujo, <laughs> my very handsome rock and roll custom, courtesy of Jim Godfrey. Good man. Representing Robert, I have the vintage ripcord. Because I know Rob okay. thinks that he's such a handsome-looking figure. <laughs> figure. Figure. <laughs> handsome-looking handsome faggot. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and representing my man Paul, because of his kung fu acumen, is Spider-Man. Hey. <laughs> hey! Hey, Paul is Spider-Man. Uh, so, I am going to spin the bottle. Spin, 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 where it lands, no one knows. Oh, it's me. I will be the briefer, and rece <laughs> receiving the briefing will be Paul. Yay! With this topic, I decided why reinvent the wheel, just as the unfortunate folks responsible for not one, but two G.I. Joe motion pictures did. Instead, I decided to go with a classic, because... You can't rewrite perfection. You just got to hold it up to the light some more. I'm going to go with a mission that, um, well, it certainly has its fair share of challenges and treachery. Paul, your mission is to rescue Scarlet from the silent castle. All right. Unfortunately, however, you may not use any ninjas. Uh, what do you do, it. buddy? I'm Okay, let me start off with my roster. Uh, I'm going to have to use uh, Stalker, because uh, mm -hmm. Stalker cares about... Uh, Stalker actually has a vested interest in Scarlet. Another another good one would be... Okay, I'll take Tunnel Rat. Who else? Who would be... Ah, Shipwreck, why not? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> and then with the five, do I have to also consider the vehicle driver, or does a vehicle driver come with the ordinance? You can have the vehicle driver as a as a bonus. Okay, cool. Okay, I got three guys going. Oh, Lady J, totally. Uh, so it's Lady J, Stalker, Tunnel Rat, and Shipwreck. Okay, so that's my mission team vehicles that we'll be using. Okay, uh, it's an evac, so we have to get her out. So we're totally going to use a Tomahawk for the exfiltration. And a Dragonfly will be supporting the, the mission as well, externally. Um, and then the drop-in would have to be a C-130, I suppose. Um, okay, so uh, this won't be an aerial assault uh, the way that uh, Snake Eyes does it, because that's Snake Eyes' thing. So Stalker is equipped with a jump, because he's jump qualified. The uh, insertion wouldn't be like on the uh, from the top. Uh, they would insert uh, a few, like maybe a kilometer away, uh, if they can. Uh, they'd have to scale those mountains. All four of those members are quite capable. Uh, they would have to make a, a sort of a silent approach. Uh, okay, what would happen is there'd be two teams, Alpha and Bravo. Alpha team would consist of Shipwreck and Tunnel Rat would be Alpha team. And Stalker and Lady J would be Bravo team. 
What'll happen is Alpha Team will go in and neutralize any ground forces. Tunnel Rat will then start setting up explosive ordnance around the uh, entrance to the Silent Castle itself, while uh, Lady J will be providing uh, sort of a long-range support and um, coordination between the strikes, uh, between the strikes and Stalker with the jump will start to ascend the the Silent Castle once um, the fireworks start going off. Tunnel Rat hits the the switch, um, explosions and chaos start to ensue. Tunnel Rat and Shipwreck uh, both use uh, clearing maneuvers, so they they brace the door after it's expl- uh, blown up. They start attacking Cobra. I would imagine would route a lot of its forces to the entrance and um, start moving themselves into position. By this point, Stalker has found his way onto one of the top balconies, and he's doing what the Jungle Cat does. He starts to silently dispose of his enemies. Lady J is watching him. Tunnel Rat and Shipwreck start to advance through the Silent Castle itself and start making their way through to where they believe the dungeon of that castle is, where the keep would be. They start moving in uh, carefully because they know that it's uh, cobra-laden, it's probably full of booby traps. Uh, Tunnel Rat's specialty is, uh, well, if he's good at setting up explosives, he's good at picking up good places to go, so he takes points. Uh, move Shipwreck in with him. Stalker is also moving in, although um, the intel being what it is, Cobra is giving off his uh, huge, uh, Cobra Commander is giving off a speech and that main hall seems to be undeterred by the by the explosion, which means there must be some kind of crazy defense measures. Stalker moves his way in, uh, tries to find some kind of uh, communications panel or higher ranking Viper or Cobra officer, neutralizes him and... Yeah, yeah, Tombstone. <laughs> Starts uh, shaking him for information, getting an idea of where Scarlet could be. I would imagine that um, Storm Shadow is already caught wind of this. Uh, the, none of these uh, Joes are aware of Storm Shadow, so they slowly start moving in. Stalker manages to get uh, Scarlet's position within the stronghold and sends him combo to Lady J and to the rest of the team. The rest of the team starts slowly moving in to try and uh, exfiltrate. At that point, uh, Lady J's already called in the Dragonfly Strike. She's called in Wild Bull with the Dragonfly. Dragonfly starts uh, opening Salvo on the side of the Silent Castle to create Havoc and Chaos. T-Hawk is, what, five minutes in, so they have to start moving quickly. Paulie, what are you going to do against the numerous anti-aircraft defenses the Silent Castle possesses? Oh, right. Okay, well, I suppose... Not, not ass in your face. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going on on the intel that I can remember. Okay, T-Rat and Shipwreck's main mission is to disable some of the, the sort of SAMs and artillery guns. That's what they start doing. They start moving uh, two men and up. They start clearing out and start finding, uh, well, moving to the, let's say, I'm just going to say the front side because I honestly can't think of north, south, east, and west for this situation. Uh, move through, start uh, disabling them. Um, and try to get that done just in time or as the, the dragonfly arrives so that the dragonfly doesn't have any uphill and so that they can have clear skies for, a, for an exfiltration on the tomahawk. So they're moving, they do their thing. Um, hopefully they are, well, they, they're successful because they're good at doing what they're doing. Um, Shipwreck, incidentally, is disguised as a Cobra officer now. Because that's just his chick, apparently. And <laughs> as you do. And Polly as you do. Uh, just sort of flapping around in the background. 
<laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, he's telling everybody it's Destro's pride bird. When whenever there's questions asked, and then Tunnel Rat uh, just manages to just sort of uh, empty their minds a little. Uh, let me let me interject. You better hope Voltaire isn't on site. He might get jealous of the of another bird on site, and and bird he might look into your disguise. Is that Voltaire, the 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 author, as opposed to Voltar, Destro's general? Did I bo- did I botch that, <laughs> or did I? Ooh, um, I see. Mm. Mm. <laughs> okay, so Stalker, um, having got its position, uh, once again radios into the team to get Tunnel Rat to uh, run uh, Tunnel Rat and uh, Shipwreck to rendezvous. Lady J is following up. She's moving through on um, Shipwreck and Tunnel Rat's uh, six. She's moving in slowly with them. Um, and then they get to Scarlet's um, prison, so to speak. They try to make communication to check if she's alive or conscious. Um, she does reply. Yeah, and then they, they pursue, uh, proceed to uh, blow down the doors. Being smart about it, uh, two of them hold the doors. Uh, Stalker goes in to uh, retrieve Scarlet. Scarlet is not very strong, so uh, he slings a, a fireman carries her over and uh, gives her his sidearm so that she has you know something to shoot with it just in case. And they sort of proceed and they get onto the the greater balcony. Uh, the dragonfly at this point has started to make it, uh, make its assault on the side of uh, the silent castle, and the uh, the T hawk is there waiting to come and um, uh, exfil them. And they get Scarlet on the T hawk, and the team manages to exfiltrate and and get out of dodge really quickly. That's the best way I can think of of doing it. No no challenges. I can't think of any other challenges. I mean. I'd imagine Storm Shadow would come in there somewhere, but he didn't make an appearance, so we were lucky. Hmm. Very lucky indeed, man. A force of four Joes managed to take on the the garrison stationed at the Silent Castle. Well, I would definitely say that your explanation of how you'd uh, complete this objective is very much in line with the Sunbow cartoon, my brother. <laughs> I didn't even think that. I was just going uh, with what the situation presented me with. <laughs> Good man. Well, it seems you have no problem with the very loud and very um, explosive approach. Though, of course, Stalker would be doing the sneaking around up top while, I yeah. suppose, as you say, Tunnel Rat and Shipwreck are drawing out the Cobra forces. Kind of like the troops uh in rogue one ah yes mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like you, your your team could have been a little more eclectic like you could have gone deeper into the roster what bring deep six with <laughs> i don't know i don't know quick kick <laughs> but kujo come on man he's the sunbow boy <laughs> he um, the, cartoon, just, you know, the cartoon team the cartoon yeah, superheroes you, you know, that was the great thing about this. Um, I just took the names that came to my head immediately, and I also have a few toys around me as well. Um, I, although I did neglect to bring Beachhead with, but, uh, you know, I, I got my boys. I'm glad that Steven uh, put in the no snake eyes rule. That was a... <laughs> well, you well, know. I, I do like this idea just because when you were chatting it up earlier, I was, like, trying to remember how I would create environments back in the day. I was a big folded up blanket dude, like crumple up a blanket and you've got like a hill to fight up or down, you know? Oh, uh, me too. 
So I, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I wrap my mind around it. My earliest attempts to recreate Cobra Island was in a rather spacious room at my folks' place with a few gigantic blankets over tables and chairs to kind of get that like steep escarpment that Cobra Island has. You know, it goes from the beach right up to that volcano. So uh, well, that was dead on. If you man. got a couch cushion and, a, and like a creative mind with a blanket, that's hard to beat because you can get like a little platform for things to land on. And what's so great is that it creates its own cover. Because, you know, cover oh, yeah. when you're playing with your action figures is always an important thing. You need an environment that provides a lot of cover. Otherwise, the action resolves too quickly. You just have one guy with a, an automatic weapon mow down his opponents. But no, if you want to draw out your, your gun battles, you know, you need an environment that has 90-degree angles or rocks. Dude, here's here's a mystery. Like, it, like, shooting a gun is cool, but... When you're when you're holding a gun but not shooting it, and what you're doing that action is equally as cool. I don't understand why like there's only been one game that really made taking cover sexy, and that was Gears of War. Like you would slam into cover, you could blind fire. It was so intuitive. Like no other game has even bothered to make cover an exciting part of the game. I'm gonna slow you down there. After right. Gears of War. Um, Okay, I can debate. Maybe um, maybe very few games have um, made cover as exciting as Gears of War. But after Gears of War, every game was about cover. It actually got mm, ridiculous. Yes, Obviously, but not, not intuitively. Because I remember, uh, what was that one, Uncovered? What was that, like, Indiana Jones series for PlayStation? Uncharted. Uncharted. Uncharted was great. They did cover, but I didn't, I didn't feel like it was fun. Yeah. Um, the first two for me were fun. The, the third one. I'm saying the cover. Uh, I felt that the cover. Aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm, supposed, I'm also I'm focusing the cover on the first two games was was fun. The first one was a little bit um, sticky, like it didn't work so well. But the second one was fantastic. Tomb Raider also has a, a great cover system. Well, Uncharted may be like the most incredible video gaming franchise visually and just varied gameplay that you'll ever pick up. Oh my God, the set pieces. My God. Love them characters. That's all gold, brother. When you're when you're in Joburg, it's all gravy. Who's, <laughs> who's drinking some beverages? What, what I you am drinking. Do? I want to know what people do I'm when, we're, when we're talking. In. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you, Paul. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to us. Yeah, sorry. Listeners, no. what do you guys do? When you listen to G.I. Joe book, I'd also like to so people are like paint models or are people laughing like are, is, are people kind of blown off their week because we're just talking like fools. I'm curious. I've heard that some folks listen to us on their commute to work while other folks listen to us while they're enjoying their action figures. Uh, Jim, for instance, obviously his interest is customize the side of things. And I suppose we add a bit of G.I. Joe centric accompaniment to uh, his endeavors. I mean, the guy is making art, playable art. <laughs> it's an honor to be his soundtrack. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, dude, if, if we're talking to you, if you're listening or talking back to us or whatever, dude, this is this, this is the conversations that people have been missing for like 20 years. Wow. But now we have our next briefing. 
and next mission team. I'm going to spin the bottle. <laughs> oh, so the bottle has just landed on rock and roll, which is my stand-in for Cujo. And you will be briefing yourself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, Are you just ready for Cujo's game of G.I. Joe Fates? Holy shit. That was actually a mistake, but okay. You're going to be briefing yourself? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out my story, and, and then we'll move on to the next person. Yes, we were doing the... Um where we kind of uh, try and see if we can get the story to move along. Kudra, as, as, as normal, has um, has interpreted our, our our brief his own special way, and I like that. Well, it's, it's a little different take, but it's the same agenda. First of all, just out of randomness, I need you gents to pick an order. So one, two, and three. Who wants to go first? Shall I let a uh, game of chance decide? Please spin the bottle, Steve. I'll spin the bottle, gents. <laughs> All right, I'm going to remove this immaculate custom rock and roll from the equation. So it is a three-way spin with Scarlet, Ripcord, and Spider-Man. One for JJ. First up, we got Spider-Man. Jeez. The, hey. fort- the bottle is favoring you tonight, Paul. <laughs> After Paul Eight. will be... Ooh, we're going to spin again. Roberts. So I'll be okay. bringing up the rear, as it were. All right. Well, this first trial is a trial of intellect. Uh, I'll need fuck. a Joe member from Paul that can handle himself in a room with Destro intellectually. So a smart G.I. Joe, but also that has some stature because you know Destro's not going to step lightly. Okay, so, so not bazooka. Ra- start wrapping <laughs> your mind around it. No bazooka. Uh, no, that, it's fairly easy. Um, I'm going to go... Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Okay, I'll keep it to myself. Is this the card you chose? This is a simple jailbreak. Broken battlefield. A bunch of Joes end up in prison. It just so happens they're breaking out. And you know how Joes work. They're violent. They're efficient. They're down the hallway, they're into the headquarters before you know it. But they get into the headquarters, and there lies Destro. He's got some weapons with him, too. He's got a couple troops in there. We don't know who they are yet, we haven't decided. But Paul, who Mm -hmm. can handle Destro in a game of fates from your team? Uh, A whole team or just a Joe? I just want a Joe. Okay, cool. I'm going to say Flint. Okay, and, and based on your choices, if I like them, everybody gets out alive. If I don't, we might lose some people along the way. What you have Flint doing, how is, how is Flint handling Destro? Uh, Flint is being his arrogant old self. Uh, with it's, just a, it's just a conversation at this point. I th- uh, uh, Flint is playing with Destro, like in the sense that He's not like sort of spitting, spouting out kind of rhetoric about, oh, whatever you're doing is good or bad. He's goading him. Flint is arrogant, so he's the type he would he would definitely goad uh, Destro, try to see if he can get Destro's arrogance to to come in, into play a little bit and sort of wait for an opening for a weakness and then sort of move in. 
It just so happens one of the soldiers in that room is the Baroness, and Destro's starting to feel the energy twist away from him. <laughs> happens that there's a chessboard, and he asks Flint to step to the table. If Flint wins, they both know if they go at it, there's going to be a lot of casualties on both sides. He says, if you can beat me at chess, then I'll let you walk out of here. Tell me why Flint can outsmart Destro at the table. Flint is confident, like I said, with his arrogance and things like that. Although he overcompensates by being arrogant, Flint is a guy that can get things done. He is a bit of a tactician. He's also an officer <clears throat> in the sense that he also went to officer school, which means he is somebody who is also more intellectual with regards to soldiers. You know, he's not, he's, he wasn't like a, a dude that fell into the army after high school. He was uh, somebody who wanted to go into career military. Nah, bro, he's got a degree, but he, he didn't go to officer school. Warrant officers no, are not official. They didn't go to officer school. Oh, I thought he would. I thought he would have, but he had got a degree. That's yes. that kind of yeah. English what I lit, to I get think. Into. Yeah, he's he's an educated man. He's he's not uh, he's he's not a fool. And uh, I, I I've got a a good feeling that when uh, old Flint was um, wherever he was. I'm sure that he played he, a, a fair amount of chess against people that were far smarter than him and uh, learnt a few things here and there. So I would say he would definitely kick some ass in, in chess. Just, just as the disclaimer, had I given you a bit more information up front, Admiral Keel Hall would have been an excellent pick there too, since he is a oh, chess mas master. Oh, <laughs> I'll play your chess game. You'll do anything. So we start out, there's 10 jailbreakers. We lose a couple in there. Flint's good. He beats Destro, but he also kind of gloats, and Destro gets pissed, and they lose a couple guys as they get out of the room. But they know the way out. So people are breaking down hallways, gunfire. It's, it's chaos. The next trial, the trial of... I don't know if I have a name for this one. Let's call it the trial of wills. And this is you, right, Robert? <clears throat> Indeed. All right. We have two Joes. I will be representing one. You will be representing the other. We come down. There's a split in the hallway. There's an opponent on each side. We, we have to choose one to fight. You take one. I take the other. On one fight, you have a psychological fight. On the other side, you have a fight of brutality. Which one would you like to pick? Ooh. And, and I need the Joe and the reason. Oh, my goodness. I think... Oh. <laughs> click, click. <laughs> Google. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to find the, the character that I would use... Uh, Incidentally, Cujo, in a chess game, Keelhall might have been a ranking master, but he's old school. If you want someone who's up on his shit, I'd take Countdown. Nice. <laughs> well, I, di I didn't mention the chess. I bungled that part, but <laughs> had I mentioned it. Hello, Destro, do you want to play a chess game? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think mm-hmm. I'd probably go for the psychological one, and I would use sneak peek. A good move. And the reason the reason why I would use sneak peek is because he's exceptionally patient. He has he has tons of guts. I mean, he's able to stay out there, noting everything that he needs to know about enemy movements. Um, he's exceptionally observant. Um, I mean, you're not going to send a guy out there to make terrible notes and to take make terrible observations about what the enemy is doing. So he's very observant. He's patient. He's not going to rush things. Um, yeah. Okay. That's basically why it's that you sneak peek. Knowing I have to face a fight of brutality, what Joe am I? Hmm. A brutal uh, Joe, probably. Hmm. Trying to think. I can give you so many cool hints, but I want to see what you come up with. <laughs> Who would be a brutal joke? We don't have much time, brother. They're staring us down. I'd probably go with Gung Ho. Alright. He grew up with with a big family. Um, he's, he's used to being in the swamps where you got to get things done sort of uh, physically. Um, probably has no patience, so he kind of just rushes into things before thinking. Um, he's a big guy. He's strong. He's got tattoos, which means he can take pain as well. So... Probably the only member of G.I. Joe to stick his thumb up a crocodile's ass too. <laughs> That's that you know what that that could sway it. Um Alright, Robert, I definitely want you to take take your time on this. I was hoping you'd fall into this slot, but it was just random. This fight, this is how it's gonna play out. I want your answer to be true. I don't want us to know who you're talking to. I just want you to find the trueness of it. I'll just leave it at that. You step into the hallway, and all of a sudden you just feel this hot flash. And you're hearing a voice that's impossible. You, there's no way you can hear this voice. This the is voice, the voice! It is impossible! Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, it's good that you broke the tension, because it's going to get thick in here. This is a voice you've not heard in a long time. Somebody you've not seen. And you, you, you all, uh, all of a sudden you understand you're fighting Crystal Ball. Ooh. And the only way you can break the hypnosis is to bring closure to this relationship or this person you didn't get to say goodbye to or didn't get to say goodbye in the right way. So just say goodbye. That's the only way you can can break the hypnosis. If you need to wow. take some time, or if I'm too on the nose, <clears throat> I'll back off. No, that, 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 that's, that's pretty good. I'm sure Sneak Peek had a dog. <laughs> or, or he lost someone close to him. His dad, Stephen King. <laughs> That's crystal. It doesn't, it doesn't have to dad. be that long. It can just be a couple sentences. Owen King, sneak peek is is Stephen King's son. Oh yes, that's true. But he changed his his surname though. He's not known as King though. But that's interesting though that that is that connection. Um. Oh. Man, I thought that was his surname. Damn it. Well, close enough. I think he took his mother's surname. Anyway, getting off. I suppose we didn't know each other terribly well, but near the end we got better in our connection with each other. And I never got to say goodbye properly. Thank you for the time we had. It wasn't enough. All of a sudden... The hypnosis is broken. 
And, and crystal ball is not much physically. If you can break him psychologically, you just, you just land square, square right to his jaw, done. That 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 freaking hologram is is shattered. But you gotta come help me. Cause who am I again? Gung Ho. Yes. All right, Gung Ho and Big Boa in a hallway. <laughs> I mean, you're talking one that the Vipers just kind of just watch. So we're smashing into plaster and everything. I need you to come equalize the situation. Please clean up this mess. I think probably Sneak Peek would wait at least a little bit. Hopefully, you know, for Gung-Ho to wear him down a bit. And then he comes in, you know, kind of in, in his blind spot and kind of like strikes him real hard. Does Sneak Peek have any sculpted accessories that might be able to... To end the situation? No, I'm, no, I'm trying to remember. I haven't brought him up. So I know he comes with... <laughs> he comes with binoculars, so you could always pull those off in the, and kind of uh, garrot his enemy to death. <laughs> okay, that works. You take the binoculars... <laughs> Slave layer, that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Big Bo has got those frozen turkeys around my neck, and he's just squeezing... You come up behind, choke them out with the binoculars. The vipers are so shocked they just run away. So we're we're in the motor pool, and now we're on to our last trial, which is the getaway. Steven, are you ready? <laughs> yes, Cujo, I'm ready. You need a G.I. Joe vehicle driver that can handle anything in the Cobra. Uh, motor pool, let's say. The terrain is mm, alpine, mountain. You're going to see some boulders. You're going to have to drive over some bushes. So we need something that can move, but can handle uneven terrain. Um, and also to cap that, wh- where are you playing this out with your toys? Are you in on carpet, folded up blanket? Where, where are you driving to? Where's your getaway room? I'm probably always going to escape into the garden, man, because the jungle can become a safe haven, a refuge. It'll always provide you with what you need if you have the right personnel. But a vehicle that can champion that terrain. You know, if we were in the snowier environment, I'd probably tap a lesser known character called Windchill. Because that guy seems to have a sixth sense about treacherous terrain. He reads the terrain with almost lightning fast reflexes. Because when you're in a thin-skinned, arctic, dedicated vehicle moving at breakneck speeds over very loose powder, you know, a single rut or a single concealed rock would spell absolute disaster for you and your passengers. So that guy would be high up on the list if we're talking about a terrestrial vehicle. But once again, we're not talking um, the snowy battlefield. <sighs> I suppose aerial vehicles are off the, off the table, huh? Oh yeah, you're stuck on the ground, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very loath to pick anyone other than G.I. Joe's original wheel, man. 
the guy with nerves of steel <laughs> and a greasy mop of black hair on his head. It's got to be clutch, man. Nice. What's he driving? He's, he's got the right attitude. He's got the right equipment. He was the sort of the most everyman kind of Joe to be tapped for the Joe team. But the reason being must be his driving skill. I mean, anyone who can drive a vamp, manipulate its twin machine guns, and fire a Beretta out of the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy gets my vote all the way. What's he driving? A Stinger. How many personnel are we talking about here? Oh, are we stealing Cobra equipment? Yep. Well, Stingers are useful because they've got uh, the sort of grab bar on the back with the additional standing room on that running board at the back there. So a Stinger would be a good one. Certainly give you some ordnance, but that shit is heavy, man, and what you need is speed. I think four uh, missiles, either you've got to ditch them immediately or um, you'd be better off in something like a Desert Fox. But if we're talking Cobra vehicles, man, how many people are we trying to move? Uh, just pick the vehicle that you would want to be behind the wheel in. <laughs> I'd say about four people. Four people. Because whatever you pick, the, the, somebody else will pick it too. Yeah, that rules out the ferret, man. But quads can get places that other vehicles just simply cannot. You know what is fun about the vamp? The Master expanded in the comic books so that you get three people in the front seating and then an additional three sort of hanging on around the machine gun. So for moving our six guys, I'm going to go with the vamp, baby. All right. You have one more selection, and I'd like a colorful description on how it plays out. Uh, the dude in the passenger seat is pot-shotting people that are trying to run you down. Give me a, a small arms fire that takes out a dude on a ferret chasing you. Who's who's the dude firing that gun? <laughs> you can't beat the pinpoint accuracy of a laser weapon. I think Flash would be probably the best sniper to have in this situation. Alright. Yep. Whether it's against an armored target or a soft target, if you can add Flash into the mix, he's got my vote. So did we survive? I think so. Who's that? Clutch, Flash, Gung Ho, Sneak Peek, and who's playing chess with Destro? Flint. Oh, right on, man. Heroes all around. And Flint's left-handed. Just the Vamp's got you. something that other later Jeeps didn't really have, and that's a a towbar, not a towbar, a winch. Very important practical point for uh, off-roading. Indeed. That's all I got. Wow, gents, I, I'm suitably impressed. That was fantastic. Well done, Cujo. Thanks, brother. I think all that remains now is... Is Rob and Paul scenarios. <laughs> Rob and Paul scenarios. Let's spin the bottle and see who gives who to what. <laughs> <laughs> I sniped Robert on that one. We have Paul's <laughs> scenario, and he'll be yeah. dispensing that to me. Hey, cool. Okay, so a Joe team was sent in to administer the handover of a high-value asset from the Benzene Intelligence Bureau. Okay, so that's Benzene as in the fictional land Benzene from the comic books, from the Joe comic books. And they were there to facilitate the handing over of this high 
value assets to the CIA as he is um, sort of defected from the American government because the research that he has been conducting is very next level cybernetics and the merging of the human neuro nervous system and brain with uh, machine and cybernetic components. Funny how this is coming up again. Anyway, what happened is what he was doing was deemed as very dangerous. And so he tried to get out of uh, out of America where his lab was and was subsequently uh, sort of kidnapped and taken by one government and then and traded and traded and traded. And the, the CIA managed to broker a trade. G.I. Joe was there to make sure everything went smoothly. As of four hours ago, Joe Actual has lost all communications with um, the Joe Recon team, which was uh, Spirit. Uh, Lady J and Stalker. The Joe team has made numerous attempts. Well, Dialtone and Mainframe have been making numerous attempts to try and pierce that area, but news reports are coming in from that uh, from there of major destabilization. Uh, lots of small conflicts are breaking up, and uh, things are just getting really, really hectic there. Unfortunately, Snake Eyes is Oscar Mike in Rio Lindo, so he is not available for this mission. The U.S. government and CIA have intervened and are preventing Joe from engaging in any kind of recovery mission or insertion mission into uh, the benzene. So Joe started formulating a plan. What's uh, also happened in the meantime, or what is coming in now, is an encrypted transmission from a Joe asset that has been placed in a Cobra facility or that has placed himself in a Cobra facility and Dalton and Mainframe's teams are actually busy deciphering his code. The coordinates seem to be pointing towards a place called, it's uh, Frissenland, which, uh, if you guys don't know, is a very cold fictional land. Okay, so uh, that has been confirmed. They are definitely there. Joe can intervene, but they have to be careful because treaties between Frissenland and whatever prohibit American operatives and or American intelligence operatives from moving unannounced in their country. So Joe has to, Joe's primary mission is to rescue um, the captured Joes as they are confirmed uh, as the S proof of life. Um, your secondary objective is to secure any intel on the facility that has been targeted. Uh, the intel that we have right now is uh, from the, the Crusader Mark III satellite, but we are not picking up any heat signatures whatsoever. For all intents and purposes, the facility seems to be dead. Caution is advised because none of the instruments that they're using are providing any really good readouts. Uh, the, the marker inside cannot expose anything more than the coordinates because he understands his mission window. You also have a very small window to move in, as they can't uh, tell if the Joes are going to be kept alive for that long, and or if the primary asset, Dr. Nakamura, is going to still survive this. Okay, so you need to choose a team. You can choose up to five guys, obviously. Uh, you also need to choose a care package, which is going to be delivered ahead of your arrival. Care package being uh, vehicles or ordnance or whatever you need to complete the mission. Bear in mind that Frissenland is very cold, and it's some of the harshest terrain on the planet. Harshest uh, Arctic and Tundra style terrain on the, on the planet. Um, and this it would be considered an infiltration mission, but you are free to go as you please. What kind of facility is this? If we've got some intel from the Crusader Mark III. All we know is that it is a World War II style research bunker. It's embedded within the terrain itself. It seems to have a bomb-proof superstructure and uh, 
from the intel that we have um, has been renovated on multiple occasions by different agencies in the past, although there don't seem to be any blueprints in existence. And the Crusader 3 is being tricked, oh, as in, like, there's a lot of static and a lot of interference that is preventing any real outcome. So all you've basically got to work with is a satellite view of a very rectangular structure that is that has got about uh, 20 meters of terrain around it with uh, what looks like security gates and security checkpoints, but they seem to be unmanned. It looks like it's got some thick concrete that would need to be that it, it's impenetrable. There's no air. There's no way we can use any air force or aerial based attack on it. That's the the only intel I can give you. And there's no heat signatures. We're not sure what's going on in there. Hmm. Well, it would appear we do definitely need to be sneaky about it. We need boots on the ground. Fortunately, however, it seems the GI Joe already has an asset embedded in Frozenland. Yes. Because that is exactly <clears throat> where they deployed the Battle Force 2000. That is correct. Yeah, that's, that is true. And in keeping with, uh, suppose, the theme of episode 80, I'm going <laughs> to go with the BF2K, baby. Okay, man, that's not how I saw it going down, but that sounds good to me. <laughs> no ways, brother, that is not how you saw it going down, but that is exactly how it's going to go down. Good man. You see, the Vector Jet is equipped with a sophisticated cloaking device. Yeah. Which will enable it to fly, nap the Earth close enough to the target, and then jet up into the stratosphere where it can release its ass pod. Because <laughs> in the ass pod is Colonial Marines, Corporal Dodger. And Corporal <laughs> Dodger has got that motherfucker gun of his. With the rockets <laughs> underslung on the shotgun and that mean-ass knuckle duster. And using that, he shouldn't have too much difficulty causing some ruckus downstairs. Meantime, Avalanche has managed to move in nice and close with the Dominator snow tank. Using, once again, sophisticated cloaking devices. Next generation shit. The kind of shit that they have in the year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So right now you've got Dodger up top. You've got the Dominator with Avalanche marking the perimeter. I think it's time to move in. Dodger uses sophisticated microcord line to rappel down the side of the building, which allegedly has no visible means of entrance. That's right. So you need to find... Let's just say um, you guys managed to find some kind of entrance, basically a, a bunker-style metal door. It's huge. It's designed to move um, something the size of uh, a tank column or whatever in and out. Uh, although you, uh, from experience, you do know that this has got redundancy, so it's most likely two doors that you're going to have to smash through. And there's also a personnel entrance as well. Uh, the personnel entrance uh, looks to give you less uh, grief on the way in. That is exactly the way that Dodge is going. He lines up his rocket launcher and lets fly. <laughs> Personnel entrance springs open. He's in. Okay, so you guys have rushed. Oh, have you guys? Has Dodger just rushed in, or are you guys all in? Nope. Avalanche is keeping the perimeter. The vector is high above, observing the scene. And what the hell? Sky sweep is also in play. 
ensuring that uh, there are no enemy aircraft that could uh, ruin our exfil. Excellent. Okay, uh, what you're seeing is what appears to be a long abandoned facility in the inside. It looks like it hasn't been used for the last 12 years. It also looks like it was evacuated quite quickly. There's still things like coffee cups and uh, half-filled coffee cups and uh, chairs. You know, some are pulled in and some are pulled out. Uh, some of things are just all over the place. The lighting is not all on. It seems to have emergency lighting that is switched on, uh, which is mostly red, and it's not the it's not easy to see too far into the distance. But uh, you definitely get a, the impression that that there's more to this place. That there might be an underground level. It being a bunker style, it definitely has to have an underground. So uh, you guys need to proceed inwards and get there. Well, it seems Dodge is going to need some backup. And since the ground level is completely derelict and devoid of any resistance, he pulls in the Dominator tank, which then levels the, the entranceway by applying a combination of artillery and laser fire. Right. Okay. You guys have definitely ascertained that there is nothing in that ground level. So now you're moving on downstairs to uh, basement one. Okay, so Good as thing you guys Avalanche in... brought some additional manpower. We've got Blocker along with uh, for the ride now. So it's Blocker and Dodger moving downstairs. Avalanche and his Dominator maintain the, um, the situation topside. Okay, Blocker and Dodger... Um... Come into well after it's a it's a platform elevator that takes them down. Uh, once the gates have moved open, you step into what seems like a storage area. It's very cold. It, it's actually um, lots of corridors. It's uh, kind of designed in a well where you guys are now. If you look to your left, there's a corridor that goes left to a corner, and then the same on the right hand side. Um, your initial assessments give the impression that the room is either rectangular or square with smaller rooms that form in the middle and it seems to be quite long uh things to note though there are these huge uh, canisters these big uh, see-through canisters and they're filled with a uh, liquid and there seems to be a lot of in those canisters are human beings of no description they haven't got any names they just got numbers on them and they have different levels of um sort of cybernetic technology sort of integrated into their um, skin. Uh, the best visual I can give you for that is something similar to the Borg, but not as advanced, not the advanced stages of being assimilated by the Borg. So some of them have like fully cybernetic arms, some of them have cybernetic legs, some of them are actually missing limbs and are just floating limbless. They seem to be uh, on some form of life support and they are tons of these there's rows of them uh, along the passages and things like that you once again also pick up no indication of movement or enemy presence you guys can proceed so we've just encountered this mother load of bodies cybernetically enhanced bodies but no sign of the doctor and no sign of our our fellow comrades well then i'd say the mission's scrubbed we better head topside and inform Hulk <laughs> about this this unfortunate dead end well there are more rooms i mean there's, oh, there's, no, there's more? more layers yeah well you're on a sorry i i, I forgot to mention there's more uh, there's deeper layers um with the elevator platform so do you guys want to go back into the elevator platform and proceed with your reconnaissance hmm that'll take you further down i kind of wish i had the vector's turret with me for the ride 
But uh, yeah, no, we have to see how far the how how deep the rabbit hole goes. Indeed, you guys proceed to um, the elevator and try to get it up, and it immediately shuts down. Um, emergency lights come into the inside, and uh, you start hearing like what sound like a click uh, like clicky clicky clacky footsteps. Um, it's kind of uh, metal hitting the surface. Um, you so still not like have a cricket. A, not, not like, like a, a cricket. cricket outside the window. No, not un, very unlike a cricket outside a window. Very, very isolated, very cold. You're just hearing the hum of uh, the electricity that supports the life support in those tubes. The tubes are still sort of um, dimly lit, uh, providing some kind of light. And the things that start uh, converging on you are a style of bat. That is your first assessment. It's a, it's a bat that is coming towards you. Um, so how do you guys proceed? It's not just a bat, but you start hearing the clink, uh, the clinking and clanking of lots of little feet, and they are accelerating towards your position. Oh, that's easy, man. I you just got those those gauntlets that offer an electrical charge that disables nearby electrically operated equipment. Blocker draws off the battle android trooper. Dodger moves around behind him and. You start rock, uh, start unleashing havoc. You guys manage to trip some kind of system. The gate behind you opens up, and a voice comes over an intercom. Very, Very good, good, GI Joe. Very good. Your friends are downstairs. So you guys proceed downstairs. Primary mission. Um, we get the doctor. You no, know, well, you know, you have to keep moving. You, you're going towards. Uh, you're going towards the doctor. There's, it, there's levels here. Now, who is the mysterious voice? It sounds a lot like Destro. Uh-oh. You're being well, Destro's a rat in a cage at this point. I mean, if we get face-to-face with him, he's got nowhere to go. He's That's underground, true. man. He's got his back against the wall. Also, uh, on your way there, just before leaving, you were given a package to give to the, the Joe operative that is in that facility. It's an optional objective. Um, what starts happening is, is that you guys do get down to the bottom uh you are uh, once again trapped in it does you definitely get the impression that uh destro is now playing a game with you guys but the differences in this room is the uh the light has been set up and you see dr nakamura who has been set up at the end he's not what he looked like before he's been wired up to some kind of uh, machine he himself is more machine than man and um He's being lit up for you like a trophy. The three other Joes are there. You can see them. They're moving. They're signaling to you. They're not trying to warn you or anything. They're just letting you know they're there, but you can't hear them because they're behind some kind of soundproof glass. Uh, your team all has to move in to kind of secure any intel or anything you can about Nakamura. Does anyone else want to share an opinion at this point about what my Battle Force 2000 boys should be doing? Rob, Kujo, haven't heard from you boys in a while. Um, I'm just enjoying I, this uh, exchange. It's 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 really it's gripping. It's 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 a lot more than um, it's a lot more effort than I've put in. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> me too. This is starting to sound a lot more like choose your own adventure. <laughs> Sorry, no, man. No, no, not don't... at all. You're describing yeah. as you go along. He's and you're reacting to the next stage of the story. Um, like choose yeah, your own adventure. Pretty... Yeah, like yeah, I have a thing. Let me put it this way. Whatever you do, it's not going to change the story. I'm just going to move it forward anyway. I just like seeing you deal with the different problems, like how you deal with them, because I will um, put you into another situation now where 
you know, things will be cute. You guys are almost done anyway. Oh, you're almost done anyway. Cujo, so. mm-hmm. what do you say, brother? I, I was just going to say that Destro, he could have like like a Val Kilmer Batman chair. Like He, he probably has a way out. <laughs> it's Destro. He has to. Yeah. Damn it. Really wanted to corner that chrome-faced cretin. Yeah. Do you guys want to play it smart and one of you uh, provides cover for the other guy while he um, goes to check out Nakamura's fate to see if they can exfiltrate Nakamura in his current state because he's very much alive and he's very conscious and um, seems to be saying something but you can't hear it it's it's kind of it sounds like a like a, a, a very soft voice coming out of a speaker that's close to him I mean it's a trap there's no doubt about it so well let one or two <laughs> I think the <laughs> What is really kind of outstripping everything at this point is the fact that we have like a tier level zero target dead ahead, and that's Destro. I mean, everything goes out the window the second a really high up member of the Cobra hierarchy is right in front of you. So I think all attentions need to turn to possibly apprehending the bad guy. You're playing chestnut checkers with Destro, though. Yeah. Well, let's test his defenses. I mean, if... If Blocker starts unloading with his his nail gun. <laughs> <laughs> what happens is, uh, well, Blocker, I would imagine, tries to uh, shoot the glass where the Joes are um, to try and free them. But um, a, a suspicious and very movie tropish style green gas starts to fill in there. And they realize they have to start moving very quickly. Also, the emergency lights change and barriers start to form up in this um a very open warehouse-like section, creating walls, creating almost a maze for you guys to get through. The guy that's more in the back gets signaled by somebody going, hey, over here. And you're like, what? You know, you're like, who's this guy? And he's like, here, over here, trust me. Um, So one of you guys follows him. He goes, I can help you guys through this. Uh, I I think Blocker is more in the back, hey, and Dodge is more in the front. I'm going to flip it because uh, Blocker's got the sophisticated visor. That visor is equipped with various vision modes, of course. Of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> so he's able to deal with the failing light conditions and get an adequate idea of how to orientate himself around the environment and possibly be able to find a way to cut off that gas if you can isolate the gas pipeline. Yeah, he totally does that. What he does is he makes a beeline for Dr. Nakamura. Dalton's got uh, got him with next gen Joe Tech. Um and Dalton? part of ambition. No, no, he's Dalton's, Dalton's from nineteen eighty six, man. This is the Battle Force two thousand. They got the future. <laughs> but I mean like we're not talking about that Dalton, we got a new Dalton. Um what you guys do is you use a, a Joe bug. It's a device that's used to pull off as much intel of any kind of uh, hard drive or server-based system. You initiate that while the scans are being run of Dr. Nakamura. Dr. Ma- Nakamura, you can actually now hear his voice. He's basically saying, um, it's over for me. I will survive through this. I'm going to help you with your friends. And he is connected somehow and hacks into the, the mainframe and saves your Joes, saves Spirit and Lady J and Stalker by opening that gas canister. He does tell you to go because he can only hold the system for a few seconds. The Joe bug does burn out, but it does manage to get 20% of its portable solid-state drive 
filled up, which is also next generation tech. I mean, it's only about a hundred megs anyway, you know, for Battle Force who are from the future. Um, they managed to get a hundred megs of code or whatever, and they start moving out. The other guy, your real detail, he's met up with none other than, and I was going to say sneak peek, but I have changed that. He runs into Scoop, who happens to be working seriously deep cover within the Cobra organization. And, awesome. Um, yeah, I thought you would like that. It just so happens that Dodger has got the, the package, the, the parcel for delivery to the G.I. Joe mole, and uh, hands it over to him. And uh, Scoop has a bit of a smile on his face, and he goes, you shouldn't have. And he opens up the package, and it's a birthday card to say, happy birthday, Scoop. So that one's at you, Rob. And then... Uh, <laughs> That's so cool. Ironically, it was the- Robert's birthday last week. So exactly by design. Day two scoop. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a big poop. I can't think of anything else. Your Joe team manages to, uh, because of Blocker's very good next gen technology, um, and being able to see stuff, they manage to get out very very quickly. Scoop confirms that Destro is not in the facility. That kidnapping the Joes really was just a ruse to get them there. But Nakamura was actually a key player. And then you guys escape, or you guys are exfiltrated. And then your debrief goes as follows. It turns out from the intel and whatever that you guys managed to get, Destro was using Dr. Nakamura's research and whatever to work on a next generation bat. A bat that could be uh, integrated into normal society and look and feel like a human being, or at least from a distance uh, seem like a human being. And that Joe has got a new enemy to look forward to in future missions. But thankfully they managed to rescue Scarlet. I mean, rescue. Exactly. I had to throw in a Terminator edge. Okay, that was mine. Wow. <laughs> it worked out that way. I feel like that was a, a very large metaphor about a couple's first date and then foreplay and then finally conception. <laughs> in, in, a, in a G.I. Joe allegory. It was beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, Steve, totally through the wall. kindly I take the idea of producing offspring with Paul, but... <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're doing it right now, baby. <laughs> I think you went too far. Yeah, you pushed it way over the edge there, man. You using Battle Force 2000 was not expected. Uh, I did not expect that level of technology to be introduced into this. Um, what level of ha- technology? I'm just making up as I go along, buddy. Because no, why? Because cool. it's the future. No, but that was cool. That was like unexpected because originally it was meant to be more of a you would encounter the next level bats. They would have chased you guys down, but now you EMP'd them. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, no. learns a few. So there you go. So that was my mission. You know, that, that brings me to my big problem with the Battle Force 2000 figures. I don't know if we, we really adequately slayed this in episode 80, but honestly, guys, there are a bunch of vehicle drivers. The figures themselves do not have sophisticated technology. In my mind, they should. They should all be like the fucking Geek Squad, all with Don't experimental, do it, Don't do it. experimental doodads hanging off every single element of their sculpts. So allow me to add a little bit of imagination and give Blocker, you know, vision modes and give Dodger EMP gauntlets and make his weapon, you know, better than a pulse rifle. Why not? Totally, Why not? dude. Yeah, of That's course. That's where I that mean, concept and, should have gone. And I'll give Heated. it to you. 
And I'll give it to you. No, no, I'll, I'll give it to him. Only because Blocker has a visible visor, which um, is easily lost and not packaged with every uh, version of the figure. Bro, I'm trying my my damnedest to try and salvage those figures still to this day. So yeah, okay, I'll read into those details. And I'll give it to you because, you know, it's an imaginative use of uh, of a bad concept. And I, I got to say, it, it it only adds to the conversation we had in episode 80. So <laughs> that was awesome. Fresh in my memory. I think only one thing remains, gentlemen. Rob. It's sorry. Rob's scenario. Ah, should I should I pick the victim at random, or should we just go with the gentleman who hasn't had a chance to put together his team yet? Let's let's give Cujo a chance. Agreed. <laughs> well, mine is mine is pretty straightforward. So essentially, Cobra has taken over an oil platform somewhere in the ocean, and it seems mm. that they are stealing the oil from there, obviously for their own nefarious purposes. And they have said mm. that if the platform is approached. They would dump the oil into the ocean and would cause like a, a gigantic environmental issue. So people are very apprehensive about going towards this thing. You know I'm an animal lover. Exactly. You see, this is perfect. So how does G.I. Joe go about saving these animals? How do they prevent Cobra from noticing them approaching? And how do they who do you who who who's the best people to choose? Who cares about the animals the most? Who's a member of, 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 of Peter in G.I. Joe? <laughs> i can't start there i gotta start with the campaign at hand i would say since the advantage will be information the only information that that oil rig or it's an oil rig right yeah an oil rig yeah all they'll get is is cable tv most likely so you need to put scoop to work right away to create some fake news if you will um (laughs) that the Joes are held up in litigation, that they can't do anything. So that's that's one that's one arm right there. Okay, so how do they prevent people from knowing that they're approaching? Um how 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 are they gonna approach this without being noticed? Okay. Well I suppose I don't know the range of the, the shark. Um, yeah, I'm not sure of the range of the shark either. Stephen, what do you think? Oh well given the fact that you can ferry it by flying it, it must have I don't know, 50 nautical miles at least. I push it to like 100, 150. This is G.I. Joe after all. Fair enough. But the cool um, thing about the shark is you could probably go low and slow uh, about that distance without having to fly. All right. Well, I guess you, you, you do misdirection. You got to get the flag in the vicinity just to get Cobra's attention. But then I'm probably thinking maybe so low tech. Cobra almost expect that. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, even even though people know drama's coming, they still like it. Yeah, no, I'm saying I'm saying it works to your advantage to have a visual show of force because, of course, you know, Cobra can expect that there'll be a response. But as you say, it might very well be misdirection. I would I would go tactically. I would go small. And only stand by. So I guess I'm I'm doing a shark with a couple divers hanging on. I guess the final. Uh, how many more arms are there? Two more? One more? Um. Well, basically, who who are you sending in, and how? Once they're there, what do they? I suppose you you, mean, you can go into the detail of what they do, but maybe you can just choose your team. I think I think I think that's okay. enough. 
then, then unfortunately, I got to go wetsuit and torpedo, uh, just because you know that that classic uh, special missions cover. All right. <laughs> um, thank you, Mike Zick. Yeah. Th- thank you, Stephen. And uh, so that's that's a couple. I already got scoop working. I think I really only need a couple more parts. Threaten Cobra where it hurts, where it always hurts, and that's money. Tell them if they if they do oil, you'll you'll tank their their stocks. Hmm. And then uh, I, I don't know what Joe would you put to get what would you put on that task? A, a boardroom Joe? We got that guy. Uh, there was one Joe who who did study. Uh, I think what's it called? Kind of like accounting and stuff. Which Joe was that again? You finally stumped us, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> No, there, there is a Joe. I just can't remember which one it is. There is a Joe who can do accounting stuff. Is it Alpine? Finance he does have glasses there on. There we go. Uh, he's a finance clerk. But, guys, I think, I think well, Larry Harmer himself made a big point of, of separating soldiers out from money people. Yeah, Good but point. he has the skills. He has the skills. I mean, <laughs> right, we'll, we'll, we'll just say this. Shockwave we'll, we'll... is a choir boy. He can sing. You know. <laughs> we need we need to get we need to leak some you know accidentally leak some information that finds the jugglers because the you know the jugglers are on both sides of the conflict so cobra's got to find out that you're going to tank their stocks then they'll back off it's all about money so maybe maybe no force but maybe just use use a couple cool guys to float around underwater you know some good set pieces <laughs> that's what i got I like it. I like it. It's 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 no shots good. fired, as it were. That is very nice. Yeah. I like the it. perfect mission. Well, they, they can shoot something, but I don't know what it would be. They can fire into the air aimlessly because they couldn't shoot any cobras. There. Oh well, you know, undertow could be lurking with the barracuda. It's a cakewalk. Torpedoes just kind of like checking out some turtles. All of a sudden, out of the peripheral, you got undertow. Or let's just give him a hydro viper. Then he has to open his throat with a knife. So there is one death. There's a little bit of blood and water. Sorry. What about robo sharks? I I need robo sharks. Oh fuck! I forgot about the robo shark. (laughs) Damn it! Where's the animal companion angle? It's true. I failed, guys. Uh, well, that's an eel version two thing, anyways. Some days yeah, we'll talk about the eel. The eel is is a beautiful a beautiful character. Someday we'll talk about him. Mm-hmm. Original eel. Guys, eel. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm I was sad. gonna say I can't believe that you you ended that passively, and I and I just gotta say something to Rob here. When you were assisting Gung Ho in his battle with Big Boa, mm-hmm. although I think it is. There is definitely a, a homicidal sort of portion to yourself with, you know, strangling him with fucking binoculars. Why didn't you just smash him in the head with your big camera? Well, I, or I shoot didn't him. Think he had it with him. Oh, right. Kujo was asking for sculpted details. So on that score, oh. you know, neither accessory uh, qualifies. You could, of course, try and jab him on the, um, the belt hook <laughs> that is sculpted onto... Sneak peeks, waste. <laughs> nice. Okay, no, I'll give it to you. I was just, I just couldn't understand why Rob didn't bludgeon Big Boa with, with the fucking camera per, uh, periscope thing. 
and shove the very rare microphone up his ass. Up his ass. <laughs> we'll have we'll have to break out Akujo's game of fate every once in a while. I like that, bro. You are welcome to do so. Any other further debriefs, gentlemen, before we call it a night? I'm just curious, uh, just for some of the like scenarios that we have had. I mean, were there any characters or any like when you were coming up with this scenario? Like, did you have a, a way that you saw it being played out, or did you have any characters that you were hoping like one of us would choose to do the mission, or um, looking at somebody else's? I mean, if you can't think of that, looking at somebody else's mission. Would you have chosen a different character, perhaps, in a certain situation? And we don't have to deliberate on it too much. It just would uh, be, I, I'd, I'd be interesting to know. Well, I kind of messed my story up. I meant to like allude to things that I didn't. The chessboard being one, because I, I kind of got the idea when I was reading. Uh, I think it's Admiral Keelhall's file card. I think that's who it is. All right. Yeah. Well, I, and and I, I did want I did want Robert to pick Crystal Ball, although he didn't know he was picking Crystal Ball. <laughs> it's actually funny because your your situation, Kujo, your um, provided mission is what got me thinking about this. Um, if I had to think of a brutal uh, sort of Joe on, in this situation, I would have probably gone with Mercer because you know he spits on scorpions and they get offended by it. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> Mercer as well. Or Slaughter. Actually. Well, at least, yeah, by picking Mercer, you're one step closer to Slaughter, but come on, he's the ultimate fighting man! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... He'd wipe the floor with Big Bo. Yeah, I know, he would, uh, yeah, because he would take Big Bo's hits. I mean, Big Bo was wearing those big-ass um, boxing gloves, so... I mean, they hurt, but they don't hurt, like, so much. I mean, they don't hurt as much as, like, a gut kick from Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> Doesn't the Sarge, like, headbutt Nemesis Enforcer... I mean, yeah. that guy's just got rocks for brains. Yeah, that was definitely... Um, I couldn't think of... Uh, and then, like, for the Silent Castle, I honestly couldn't think of anybody else I would have used for that infiltration mission. So I'm glad that that went the way it did. <laughs> I was just thinking your ex-fill could have done with a bit of work. It's perhaps not the most creative to have a, a helicopter exfiltration, especially from a target as, as treacherous as the Silent Castle. I mean, the wind speeds are high, and also helicopters are not very quick. So they'd be no, spotted coming in, and they'd certainly be spotted going out. If Cobra just, you know, any kind of um, missile system would be able to wax those bad boys very quickly. So I what don't. I thought, and I know you're going to call Dark Knight on this, but to be honest, the first time I encountered it was in G.I. Joe Special Missions. Those balloons. Mm, the Fulton Extraction. Uh, from Metal Gear as well, yeah. Well, fuck, mm. everyone does it now. But Harmer showed it to us first, way back in the pages of G.I. Joe Special Missions number one. Yeah. When that um, Russian admiral, or not even, he was a ship's captain who would have made admiral had he not been married to a Jew. He defects by pulling one of those rigs. Let's bounce. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, that was great. I just wanted to just get some like last kind of thoughts, closing thoughts, and um, yeah, I'm good too. Uh, this was actually a very cool topic. It'll be cool to do another one of these in the future. Um, Any closing remarks from you, Rob? I liked it. Definitely a good episode. Maybe. Then I think it's perhaps fitting to end with a quote, just in case anyone ever doubted the place of special mission forces like GI Joe. 
This one comes from Winston Churchill. We sleep safely at night because rough men stand ready to visit violence on those who would harm us. I thank you. Good night. Very sobering note, Stephen. <laughs> good night and good day to our listeners. This is Paul signing out. I talked to David on the phone this week. Cujo, signing out. Robert leaving you for for, for the dreamland. <laughs> mm-hmm.